Excelsior, the <laughs> podcast where we talk about theatrically intended Marvel Comics films. Uh, our panel for the day. For now. Um, we are going to begin on the digital left with Mr. Daniel Watson-Jones. Dan will be playing the part of Blackwing today. I don't know who Blackwing that is. is. Blackwing, I'll tell you, Blackwing is an expert trainer of bats with which he has developed a highly empathic rapport. And he has a number of specially mutated bats bred for abnormal strength, size, and intelligence. I think I see where this is going. Okay. To his digital right, we have uh, Mr. Derek Long. Hello. Hey, hi, Derek. Hi, Derek. Derek. Derek is the Death Stalker, who has death grip gloves that grant the ability to kill a person on contact. <laughs> to his digital right is Nick Bester. Uh, he of the technical difficulties today. I will probably drop out at some point during this conversation. Yep. Nick is Leapfrog, who has designed electrically powered coils that can be used for leaping great distances and incorporated them into a frog costume. Makes to, sense. To his digital right is Patrick Regan. Patrick is the Stilt Man. He is yes. a criminal wearing an impenetrable suit of armor with powerful telescopic legs. Yes, thank you. And I am Stephen Claypool. I am the Matador, uh, who was once the most famous bullfighter of Spain, but his cruelty toward the bulls made the crowds riot against him and sent him to a hospital. When he awoke, he swore vengeance on all mankind. So, like you do. Before so, we go any further, I need to explain something about the stilt man, about why I was so happy you made me the stilt man. Why do you like the stilt man? First of all, he's a stilt man, and I yes. think that just speaks for itself. Secondly... He is one of the casualties of the Marvel crossover event Civil War. He's a casualty because while they were all Civil Warring against each other, it was basically the Punisher's job to keep the supervillains at bay. So he decided the best way to handle this with the stilt man, when the stilt man started walking over, like, I don't know, Hell's Kitchen or whatever, How cruel. the Punisher just shot him with a rocket-propelled grenade launcher. Oh, the poor stilt man. And that's, that is why the stilt man is dead, because the Punisher so, just looked at that and said, Nope. So the theme for today, uh, those were all daredevil villains. God, really <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say, wow. these are not like the obscure daredevil villains. <laughs> Still the, made like, pretty well known. <laughs> and one of the far. things that we'll talk about today, as we talk about our film, Daredevil, is uh, how strange it was that they took Daredevil's only two A-list villains and burned through them in one film. <laughs> they weren't thinking franchise. <laughs> We'll, we'll talk about that later, but yes. yeah, I have a thought about that, but yes. So, uh, this is Daredevil. This is our film for today, and uh, we, we have, uh, one, one has volunteered for tribute today to give us a summary of this <laughs> I film volunteer. that we have watched. <laughs> All right. Uh, you are far less attractive Mr. than Jennifer Lawrence. Mr. I'm just saying that right now. Take that back. Uh, Mr. Daniel Watson-Jones, would you like to summarize this film for okay, us? Okay, we watched uh, the film Daredevil. Uh, released in 2003, written and directed by Mark Steven Johnson. Uh, it opens with credits in Braille, for some reason, because you can read Braille on a movie screen. Uh, then, let's see, there is a flashback that lasts an hour and 20 minutes, uh, which consists of his classic nuclear toxic waste origin story. Uh, let's see, um... 
Uh, Tio Salamanca from Breaking Bad is in it at some point. Uh, oh, yeah. And... Oh, right. Uh, this may be our most concise summary ever. He was addicted to chewable painkillers. Um, and uh, Kingpin is there. And he's... Uh, he, everyone gets real wet a lot. There are a lot of puddles. Um, and a rat. Oh, there's a rat. Yeah, there's, it opens with a rat uh, in a church. No, next to a church. Uh, and a guy falls in a puddle. And then... The entire mo- oh, the entire movie takes place in a dark alley, uh, and then Jennifer Garner gets stabbed through the spine, but lives, and then the movie's over. <laughs> oh, oh, sorry. Uh, Jennifer Garner was probably playing a character of some kind. <laughs> you wouldn't know by watching it, but. <laughs> Oh, and uh, my last note, my last note for the film was, ugh, awful, period, awful, period, awful, period. <laughs> Credits roll. But, <laughs> wait, wait. Thank you. I have nothing to add to that. We're not, we're not, we're not adding anything to that description. That will be, that'll be what stands. Yeah. That was Daredevil. We will, in fact, go and re-edit the Wikipedia article under the plot section. That <laughs> is less incoherent than the film itself. The of the hour and 20-minute flashback, the first 40 minutes were exposition. <laughs> they were! God it's damn true. It. The, the film doesn't start until 40 minutes in. <laughs> yep. Okay. So, welcome to Daredevil. <laughs> uh, quick uh, introduction with uh, the character of the media history, a little bit of trivia before we launch into what is sure to be a rip-roaring discussion of, of this, uh, this film. This so, classic. Yeah, so Daredevil was created by Stan Lee and Bill Everett uh, in Daredevil number one, April 1964. Uh, the, the iconic costume that he wears, and <laughs> translates so well to the screen, uh, was designed by Wally Wood. Um... Basic premise of Daredevil, Matt Murdock is a blind lawyer by day and a vigilante by night. And he's really a, a classic example of a Marvel character whose greatest strength, uh, the fact that he has these incredibly heightened senses, is rooted in his greatest weakness, he's blind. He's a fairly typical second-tier Marvel character in the 70s uh, until Frank Miller took him over in 1980. And created what was legitimately one of the great comic runs. He introduced the Kingpin as the primary antagonist. He introduced Elektra as a character. Uh, The story where, spoiler alert, Bullseye kills Elektra became fairly iconic in that time. And Miller's run really defined how the character was approached for the next 30 years. A little bit of media history. Uh, Daredevil made several animated appearances, including one where Frank Welker voiced him. Oh, wow. Um, He also appeared as Bill Bixby's lawyer in the Trial of the Incredible Hulk TV movie. As played by who? Rex Smith. He was played by Rex Smith. Uh, This was intended as a backdoor pilot and co-starred John Reese davies as the Kingpin. Yes, when we're done with this project, we absolutely need to go back and watch all of the made-for-TV Marvel movies from like the, the fir- 70s and 80s. I the would fir- very much love to do Doctor fir- Strange. I was going to say, the first of those was Doctor Strange, starring Jessica Walters as Morgan Le Fay. Um, <laughs> weren't, there Cap- weren't there Captain America once, back in like the 40s? Yeah, with yeah. Space Mutiny's Reb Brown. 
Yeah. <laughs> uh, Daredevil is next due to appear in a straight-to-Netflix TV series, or straight-to-Netflix series made by Marvel Studios with Drew Goddard as the showrunner. Mm. And I have a little piece of new information on that front. Um, it's not confirmed, but Michael C. Hall is heavily interested in playing the part. Mm. I'm not sure I'm happy about that. I have no opinion on it, but I, I do happen to know that he is uh, lobbying quite heavily for the part. Cool. The only, the only pieces of trivia to really add before we go into this, uh, one, this will get some talk, but we're, we think we'll save the bulk of it for a later episode. Uh, this was originally going to be an R-rated film. Uh, in the wake of Spider-Man's success, uh, it was cut pretty heavily, and then a director's cut appeared later, showing more of the original intended vision. Two more points. Uh, one, at one point, it looked like Ben Affleck was going to play Bullseye and Colin Farrell was going to play Daredevil. Hmm. And finally, this has, the, uh, yeah, this has the distinction of being the lowest grossing movie ever to make $40 million in its opening weekend. Wow. It made a total of $179 million at the box office off a $75 million budget. So a success financially, but not the mega hit that they were hoping for. That is the only, only uh, yardstick on which it is a success. Yes. So, um, let's just go. Was, let's just go uh, left to right here, dude. Your opening thoughts on the film? Um, my brain shut down during this film. This was the second time I had seen it. Uh, I, I, I paid to see it. I rented it uh, when it first came out on VHS. Uh, back in the day, um, or maybe DVD, I can't remember. Um, and <laughs> I, I will never get any of that money back, and I blame you. <laughs> totally fair, Derek. <laughs> uh, you know, I was uh, 17 when this movie came out, and when, when you're 17, you don't really have much uh, discrimination in, in the, the quality cinema mm-hmm. front. Um, this is really one of the first movies that I consciously thought was bad. <laughs> like, I walked out of that theater. 17-year-old Derek walked out of that theater and was like, man, that was a big old piece of shit. <laughs> um, so that, I think that gives you some, some sense of uh, what uh, function it served in my, in my <laughs> movie-going history. Uh, I, you know, I, I guess I have a couple of other notes that we, you know, we can uh, we can talk about, but uh, we should definitely talk about the quality of the CGI. Um, we're sort of entering a, a weird period oh where the studios think it's a good idea to do lots of action sequences where they use CGI characters, but and the technology, wired as this, yes, and, this was but, wired as hell. Yeah. But the technology isn't quite there, so you know we can uh, we can talk about the problems there, and also like uh, narrative and script problems oh of the wazoo in this film. Nick, uh, Nick, your thoughts? Uh, all right, um, I think actually I have a fairly similar uh, reaction to it as Derek did. Um, it probably isn't the first movie I ever thought was really shitty, um, but I definitely really fucking hate it. I watched it actually on airplane. Uh, and it oh, stands to this. It stands to this this day as the absolute worst movie I've ever seen on an airplane. Uh, and I've seen some bad movies wow. on airplanes, but wow. I've definitely never. Wow. I, at the very least, I've never not enjoyed one as much. Uh, Bye. 
So, I mean, mm-hmm. I saw and I saw some really shitty movies in high school. I saw X vs. Sever in the movie theater. Mm-hmm. And I fucking hated Ooh. that, but I did not hate it as much as I hated Daredevil. Uh, and, like, sitting down, I'd always been kind of curious to know if maybe I had been unduly unfair to this movie. Uh, and I hadn't. Mm-hmm. It fucking sucks. It's a bad movie. It's very uh, bad. And, and John Favreau's character keeps teasing the possibility of a better movie about uh, alligators in the sewer. <laughs> I so wish that was the plot of this movie. He will not shut up about the alligators in the sewer. And I that kept hoping the they would come up. They, like Bullseye and Daredevil could have had that ending fight in the sewer, and a gator could have cut up and got Bullseye like an adaptation. <gasps> Spoiler alert. That would have been so much better. That would have been so much better than the weird, stupid... Stupid fight on a church organ. <laughs> if this were a contemporary uh, Marvel film, there would have been an after-the-credit sequence of alligators in the sewer. There was an after-the-credit sequence. Not of alligators in the sewer. I did not That's see the it. Thing about this, movie. Mm-hmm. this is the first Marvel movie with an after-the-credit sequence. Wow. This was also the first Marvel movie where I noticed a... Kevin Feige in the credits. I looked back. He was yeah. actually a, uh, an associate producer on X-Men, but he was a co-producer I, on this. My, my writing partner and I noticed that. She rushed it with me. Mm-hmm. Um, Patrick, uh, your thoughts. To, to start okay, us so if we're going to be going back to, since we all seem to have watched it in theaters, uh, to our re- initial reactions, um, I'm going to go ahead and admit this. I actually liked this movie when I first saw it in theaters. Partially you son because, of a bitch! Uh, let me explain myself. <laughs> no, no. Two things. Um, the first is, I, I am very easily, there's a reason I don't give my opinions on movies until about two days after I see a movie. I, get very, I can get very easily swept up in the bomb pass of anything that I see, especially if it's mm-hmm. in the theater. Um, uh, also, 17-year-old Patrick, full disclosure, was really into Evanescence and the other bands that made up this soundtrack. <laughs> 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 oh, my God. So oh, the soundtrack I, was I own the soundtrack of Daredevil for oh the record. Oh, oh, da- oh. Mm. Patrick, don't it's do okay. that. It's, it's okay. A, I was 17. You make bad decisions when you're 17. I, I had at one oh, point purchased enough. Silver Side Up by, Nickel, by Nickelback, so I understand. See, there you I go. also own that Evanescence album. Yeah. Okay. Um, now, but the other interesting... Here's the interesting little bit of history for uh, about me with this movie, is that um, I can't exactly explain the emotion that came to me after this movie. I think it may have been a mix of, I can do that. This is all I <laughs> uh, I could do that. <laughs> and just a mixture of, I love superhero movies. Um, but my first, I created my first actual legit, semi-decent original character after seeing this movie. Um, and this character, he was a 17-year-old. He's a 17-year-old guy, person's character, so it's not like I'm ever going to use him. But he later would Hey, inform... hey that, that, that's what people used to say about the Punisher. <laughs> Sorry, he, go would inform, he would later inform a lot of other things I would do, especially, in fact, something I'm writing right now mm-hmm. is informed by this character that I created right after seeing Daredevil. Mm-hmm. So there, I had this weird connection, sort of fondness for this movie, mm-hmm. simply enough. because it, it has that, connect, that sort of personal connection to me. Now, I'm not, for the record, I am not saying this movie is good by any stretch of imagination. Um, I've seen the director's cut. The director's cut is actually a little bit better in that it is actually more coherent. I don't know what happened. Uh, Lily and I found it very interesting that the guy both wrote it and directed it, but did not get a director's cut. That is a little unusual. 
in this industry, um, he should have gotten that. We were actually, we both actually got very curious about the, the, the actual history of this movie because if you both write and direct something, you get a lot of pull. What happened, and we're just kind of curious what happened that he did not get the pull to get the cut he wanted. You don't get a lot of pull if you write and direct Daredevil. What, uh... Well, I, not, no, 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 before it came out, you do. That's the thing. It's like before that, they didn't know that... It's, people don't know they have a failure on their hands until it fails. Well, okay, sometimes they well, yeah. Sometimes they do. But <laughs> so, we're just, there's, something, there's something very curious happened behind the scenes, and we were kind of... That, that became a topic of discussion for us. We really have to have her on sometime. So the, uh, Can I ask a question, Patrick? When you said while well, watching Daredevil the first time, I can do that. Do you yeah. mean that you could do what Daredevil does in the movie? Or that you could create a character like Daredevil? Or that you could direct this movie? Patrick what, walked what, around what could with you his do? eyes closed for a week. Because uh, yes. I distinctly imagined you like, balance, like doing a handstand on the edge of a building trying to emulate young Matt Murdock. You know, you had told me well, before that, that you had poured, pe- you you had poured uh, nuclear waste into your eyes, but I had no idea it was related to this film. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, yeah. New Orleans only has like two story tall buildings, so it's not like it's that hard. That's, that's not what we learned in Blade. <laughs> <laughs> I think this guy with Blade was full of shit. So, no, this so movie's my, my full of shit. Blade was really good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> My, yes, my first experience, my first experience with this movie was I saw it in theaters, and kind of like you, Patrick. Although I, I was not an Evanescence fan, and I did not buy the soundtrack, <laughs> um, I, I did not walk out of it horrified. Like I, I knew that it was not as good as, say, X Men or other comic films that I had seen, but th- there were. There were things about it that seemed like they could have been very cool to someone who was 16 years old. Yes. There, there's, I would actually um, say there are, some, there are some parts of the movie that I think are legitimately some clever ideas, now, and I would talk about them. Unfortunately, most of them came from comics Frank Miller had written 25 years earlier. The sort of challenge that I set for myself when I was watching the film this time around was, okay... It's going to be pretty bad. What good threads can we find in it that we might be able to tug on? There weren't many. <laughs> There's a few. But there, there, I think that there are a few things that, upon deeper analysis, will not make this film good, but will make it slightly more interesting than an Evanescence song. <laughs> I will say right off the top of my bat, or top of the bat, my bat, when uh, I was re- seeing the opening credits, the Braille opening credits that then become re- uh, English words, and I saw David Keith, mm-hmm. and I got really excited and said, oh, my God, Keith David's in this. Yep. <laughs> I did the same thing. I did the same thing. No, wait a minute. Because for- I got David Keith confused with Keith David, and then later I got David Keith confused with Robert Wall. Yes. Um, so I felt bad about that. Joe Pantaleone was there, and he makes yes. all things better. So this is scientific fact. The, the I, I would say to start off, you know, trying to view it in in the context of what came before. So this was released a little less than a year after Spider-Man, long enough for cuts to have been made to the film to try to make it more reflective of Spider-Man. And in a lot of this film, you sort of get a tonal mashup where it feels like, okay, this is partially trying to be Spider-Man. And partially trying to be Burton's Batman, going back to to that old old thread. 
Uh, down to, even though he's an established character, the Ben Urich character as a proxy mm. for the Alex Knox character in Batman. You can see what the thought process was there, but as it exists in the film, the, what comes across not only in tone, but in script, in performance, in uh, basic cinematography is just muddled. It, it's a film without a very distinct tone or a very distinct sense of self. And I think that lends entirely to what uh, was touched on already and now might be the time to get into this. The fact that there wasn't really a plot in the film. <laughs> no, I, no. Can, I don't know whether or well, not there was a plot. Be. It just was bad and took a long time to get there. And can, I, I don't know. Go ahead, Patrick. I was about to say, was that I don't know how much we're going to talk about the, the director's cut. No, we, we no, we're not going to talk a lot about the director's cut. No, okay, not in that at case, all yet. I will shut my mouth. Um, can, I haven't seen it yet. Don't talk about it. Nope. Can anyone tell me what Wilson Fisk actually did as a legitimate job? Like at some point, at that dinner party, he... He's a the, rich guy. Yeah, he's but he says, he says something about the business he's in. And there's, yeah. I don't remember there ever being an explanation of what business he's in. Like, who is, what is Wilson Fisk well, famous a, for? Yeah. He's, in, he's, he's, he is among the many comic book uh, characters who are CEOs of exceptionally vague corporations. Well, okay. He the ranks of Norman Osborn, Tony Stark, Lex Luthor, Danny Rand, so the, 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 Queen. Uh, they just, they're CEOs of companies that do... Things. His okay. building, I think that the sign on, on the outside of his building, did it say Fisk Corp or Fisk Co? It's Fisk yeah. Industries. It's Fisk, Fisk Industries. Yeah. Um, yeah. He makes yeah. walls full of water. He, he's yeah. made yeah, he on water okay. walls. Also, I dude, mean, it's exceptionally rude to ask people how they make their money. It's just not done <laughs> in the rich community. Everybody I there is rich and they just money know why. Killing people. Yeah. I killed people. Just, I killed so many people. He specifically people. mentions that he is in a business. He says something yeah. about his business. But there's no explanation. Yes, but, the movie, so, but the movie does not care enough to even supply that amount of world building. That's true. I, mean, yeah, I, I, I would argue hinges. that it is not as sexually a, a very a massively important element as what his legit business but is. But it's important insofar as the only thing we know about him in the film is he's the kingpin of crime. Yes, that's true. That, that is that's his true. character. What, what, what's his background? No, we, don't even, what's, yeah. we don't even know what his cover is. Yeah, exactly. That's a good point. I hadn't even really thought yeah. about that. He was just essentially the the really, really rich kingpin yeah. who mm-hmm. lived in a weird mm-hmm. water building. Now, the, the, the plot... Uh, uh, sorry, dude. Go ahead. The, the, the plot, as I can best understand it, and correct me if I'm missing any gaps here, okay. because the plot doesn't start until about 45 minutes into the film, <laughs> and at that point, at my attention span was waning. The plot, it's, as I understand it, is... Wilson Fisk is the kingpin of crime in New York. Mm-hmm. He has a business associate who has decided he wants to get out of crime. Yes. So Fisk decides to kill this guy and frame him as the kingpin of crime. Yes. Which he does at the end of Act 2. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Have I missed anything? Well, I mean, uh, Daredevil's the trying to the, interfere. Yeah I, mean, yeah, I mean, the rest of the plot comes out of that assassination. But yes. What, what is the rest There's, of the plot that comes out of that assassination? Well, he, he gets killed. Uh, Dare, Daredevil uh, tries to stop the assassination, but it fails. In so doing, A, Electra mistakes him as the one who killed her father and thus mm-hmm. goes on a very pointless revenge bent. And um, Bullseye, who is incredibly stupid <laughs> and awful, uh, goes on a revenge bet 
Because, and I'm quite literally literal, this is his motivation, because Daredevil made him miss. But he never misses. Bullseye, yes. is, a, Bullseye is a dude who throws things very, very precisely. <laughs> I think his identity that, wrapped up in it. And, and think, he's so wrapped up in this that the idea that he ever missed makes him fucking insane. There, I think part of, the, uh, 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 part of the problem, too, is that um, you know, oftentimes in in films like this, where you have to kind of integrate the origin story of the character with um, a kind of larger plot, um, you know, that will mm-hmm. engage the film as a whole, um, you, you sort of have to do that in a way such that in the first act, the origin story is connected with you know the baddie of mm-hmm. the film or, or whatever, and yes. th- that's that's done. In a sense, right? I mean, um, yes. mm-hmm. it, it's it's revealed like basically near the end of the film that you know Fisk had uh, Matt Murdock's um, dad, you know, killed. No, he killed. Um, no, no, out no, he killed. Him. He, was, he was the killer. Yeah, he was. He, he was, was yeah. the, the. He was not yet the kingpin at that point. He yeah. was muscle, and then he has become the kingpin. Yeah. So that comes. So up. It, that comes up. Yeah, but I yes, mean, yes. but the only thing, the only thing we get, the only hook we get is, is that Rose, right? Uh-huh. Like, yeah. that's the only bit of evidence we get. And what's then left in the rest of the first act is not, is, I mean, Daredevil does, I mean, he, you know, starts seeking justice as a result of his father's death. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But there's not that kind of focused goal or like embodied, you know, faced killer. Yeah. Um, that yeah. we yeah. can that we can kind of help to maybe anchor well, why he become, I mean, why he becomes it, a superhero. In a lot of ways, the first act is so consumed with explaining Daredevil's powers, and and this kind of gets back to remember uh, I talked about this in the Spider-Man episode. You know, this was when they didn't quite trust. I feel like this is kind of when they didn't quite trust the audience to to understand these are his powers that they need to explain them, which is weird. Which I actually find very weird because. I think when one of the good parts of this movie, and I actually will argue this movie has a few good parts, is when when young Matt Murdock wakes up. You know, mm-hmm. he's completely overwhelmed by the sound, and he can see everything. And then the church bell call rings, and he's finally kind of calm. That visual tells you so much about what his powers are that I actually thought it was bizarro that they needed to spend time with narration because they'd already pretty much said, hey, this is what his sound is like. I'm like, okay. No. I get it. No, it's, I, it's not Toby Maguire. Like, I'm, I'm, okay, so uh, Dooge, Bester, and then I'll go. Uh, mm. I, I feel like you're trying to compare this to, like, some kind of good film where narration would not be <laughs> the first thing that they go to because this movie uses narration constantly and always Voice unnecessarily. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, Blade Runner narration. <laughs> Toby Maguire narration. Yeah. On another note... I thought it was strange that they spent as much time as they did explaining his powers, but never mentioning why he had decided to become a costumed hero yes! instead of, yeah, like, it's, mm-hmm. and my girlfriend pointed this out, because uh, he, he, you know, he fights for justice because his father dead, blah, 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 but then immediately he's just wearing a costume, and, like, mm. I can accept that this is a comic book film, so, okay, he's got superpowers, you're going to put on a costume, but... If you're trying to make it also a realistic film, there has to be some explanation for why you decide to fight crime this way. As there was well, in Spider-Man. Yes. Yeah. Or, it is uh, interesting. 
Fester. Or he, where he gets the money for that. I mean, that was that was one of the things. I, he essentially, he essentially I, he's, sw- he's swimming in I fish s- and basketballs, Nick. <laughs> he's he's, yeah, a, he's a high-powered lawyer. I, I assumed that Jack Murdoch had an excellent life insurance policy. Ah. <laughs> Maybe he won a multi-billion dollar suit. Well, he's killing for Heineken. Killing for Heineken. I would think that a boxer would have very, a very hard time getting life insurance. Probably high point. premiums. <laughs> yes. So the um, one of the things that, and Patrick, you, you to build off of what you said, that I actually thought the film did very well is I really liked the. I just about said the early scenes, but these were half an hour into the film. Uh, the early narrative scenes where uh, Matt wakes up and is getting ready for work, and like those were great. He's in the sensory oh, yeah. deprivation tank and showing like the routine that he goes through at the beginning of the day. Like he's folding his money. He has a ton of suits that are all the exact same suit. Like mm-hmm. he's you you feel the reality that he deals with living as a blind man. Mm-hmm. Mm. And I think that that's incredibly well done in terms of illustrating, okay, who is this guy? What is this real weakness that he deals with? It's completely undercut when he has a playground fight. Before we get to the playground fight, because there is one scene I want to cover before we do. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about the courtroom scene. Oh, good grief. The, the legal system in the director's cut is bizarre. Don't talk about the director's cut. I, I'm sorry, Don't the, talk about it. It doesn't exist My fault. The legal system is... Okay, so Matt Murdock is... A defense attorney. He's a defense attorney. Mm-hmm. In the legal scenes, he is clearly acting as a criminal prosecutor. Yeah, I thought he was a pr- <laughs> prosecuting attorney. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm very confused by that. Why was that rape case a civil or a uh, civil case? Yeah, it would have had well, to have been a civil uh, case for him to be you, involved. You, well, no, 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 here's the thing. Here's the thing. We talked about this. If it's a civil case, then, first of all, if, if it is a civil case, it makes no sense. In the yeah, you can exactly. make a civil case about rape. You can actually do that. But, but you wouldn't do that before a criminal case. You wouldn't. And remember, the, remember that line he's got, nowhere's her testimony suspect? In a civil case, her, te- her testimony can be suspect. That's mm-hmm. how civil cases work. So there's no interpretation of that scene that even makes the slightest teensiest bit of sense. Well, that fits no. with the rest of the film. I mean, yeah, it's true. At least they're. Fun fact: I dated a lawyer yeah, for three so years, con- as and, you all know. Just, just how creepy freaking Spiros Vondas is sitting on the stand there, uh, talking. Uh, the guy, Paul Ben Victor, who yeah. plays yeah. the creepy oh, rapist, yeah, yeah, yeah. is Vondas yeah. from The Wire. Oh, uh, I forgot that he was mm-hmm. in the wire. Yeah. Yeah. He's yeah. sitting sitting on the stand there talking about, like, and you know what? She liked every minute of it. Like, dude, you're on trial for rape. You don't say that. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. it's, well, there, was to be, there, there has to be absolutely no ambiguity that he's a complete and utter scumbag because the next scene involves Daredevil murdering an entire nightclub uh, full of people just to get at this one rapist. <laughs> Wait, Before did, throwing the rapist true. in front of a train. Yeah. And he jumps in a puddle yeah, at one exactly. point. He jumps yeah, in like, a puddle at one okay. point. Full disclosure, so I do actually like the some, line. He hangs out with some, you know, not very nice people, but they don't all deserve to be murdered. To, to, to be fair, I actually do like the line, that's not heaven, it's the sea train. Ah. Uh, yeah, no, that's, it's not, it's not yeah. awful. Um, yeah. Nick, what did you think about... Uh, during the crime scene investigation, after Vondas gets killed, uh, Daredevil's little signature. 
<laughs> I had thoughts on that. Yeah, um, what the fuck, Daredevil? Well, actually, while, while I was watching the scene, I was wondering about it because, I mean, a lot of the times in uh, these sorts of stories where uh, there's a vigilant, mass vigilante and there's some dogged reporter who's, uh, who's following them trying to put the pieces together, oftentimes it's that reporter that has given the, the superhero their name. So Superman yeah. gets his name from Lois Lane, at least in certain, yeah. certain continuities. Um, and in the film, yeah. That, yeah. Mm-hmm. But... Here, like, I was wondering, it was like, okay, well, clearly Ben Affleck calls himself Daredevil because he's got this stupid costume with the DD on it. But also yeah. somehow, <laughs> somehow, uh, what's-his-face uh, from The Matrix also knows to call Joey him Pants. Daredevil. Yeah. Pants. Also knows to call him Daredevil. So I was like, how does he know that that's the guy's name? And then he throws a cigarette onto the uh, subway <laughs> platform where apparently after cutting this guy in half with the C-train... He spent the time, like 10 minutes or so, getting all of this gasoline in, in order so that he get the gas? <laughs> but where did the lighter fluid come from? Si- insignia, <laughs> just in case somebody throws a match onto it. He has just murdered a man with a train. The train has to have stopped to, you know, investigate yeah. this. Trains don't just of, keep running in New York when they hit There's people. a hun- There's got to be hundreds of people around, and he's just spending the time getting this gas ready I so that somebody t- will throw the match onto it and go... Psh, You're assuming that he didn't do that ahead of time with the intention yeah. of luring him down here to kill him with the train. But you know, Here's the thing. Here's that the thing. Might, that here's might the make thing. sense. I, just, I, just I agree that this is... I agree. I ag- agree that in a in a reality in a certain reality, this is kind of silly. In any reality. Um, no, no, no. Let me finish. Let me finish. Let me finish, man. Let me finish. <laughs> In certain heightened reality movies, I think this is acceptable. But the problem is, and I think we've, we've touched on this, this movie has an enormous tonal mishmash. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yes. It wants to be both things at once. It, you can actually get away with this sort of, like, absurd exploitation. Yeah, of course he did that. Why? Because this is that kind of movie. The problem is... Because it's cool. Be, right. You can get away with that in certain kinds of movies. It's trying yes. to be both. You cannot be both. You and can it, either be in that heightened reality... Or you cannot be in that heightened reality. And it's trying. Which goes it's back to, which goes back to, to one great. of my main problems with the uh, the first two Raimi uh, Spider Man Spider Man's is that he's trying he's trying to be campy and like very serious dour at the same time, and I don't mm. think it works. Uh, it's but, only once he goes mm-hmm. full camp that I like his movies. Uh, now the uh, I, I do really like the idea though of the C train hitting this guy. And then stopping everyone getting off the train, and then them all watching as Daredevil pours this gasoline <laughs> in the street. Oh, yes. and, yeah, does yeah. he have? Does he have a stencil that he like puts down and like pours the gasoline well, over? Is it, like a gasoline, is it a gasoline yeah. gel that he's like writing out the DD with? How does he do it? It's homemade napalm. Just the practical, the uh, practicality of it, I just find. Yeah. On, a, on another note, this is uh, a device, like this, something flammable being used to spell or make a picture that will show up mm-hmm. again in the John Travolta, Tom Jane Punisher, and it's used in one of the Christopher Nolan Batmans. The is, Dark Knight Rises. Yes. Is this oh, the yeah. first superhero film that did this? I believe it is, yes. Okay. Possibly. Certainly the first one I can think of. But it's also... Trailblazers. It also, to tie into sort of fine. one of the major themes of the film, like, there's a, there's this constant repeat of, I'm not the bad guy. Mm-hmm. And mm. this, to me, seems like a very bad guy thing to do. 
to leave a to leave a calling card behind after you've murdered someone with a train yeah, and murder. for it to be made of gasoline. There's a very good reason that people would think that he would be the bad guy. Daredevil he's, a man, he's a man dressed as a devil, setting fire to things and murdering also people the, with trains. Also, the the double. Why D would anyone the, think he's not the bad guy? The double D design. It doesn't have the simple elegance of Zorro's yeah. Z, right? Yes. Yeah. Just. Exactly. Yeah. Zorro could like just like take out some lighter fluid and do that in like a three smooth motions. This yeah. setting up that DD thing. That's gonna take a lot of work, especially also, for a blind man. Yeah, especially for a blind man. Sorry, Stefan. <laughs> I, I don't know what he just said. What was that? Especially for a blind man. <laughs> he can see the fumes coming off the yeah. gasoline. Oh, yeah. Fumes do make sound. We smell that in the in the black and white ball scene. Yeah. Lillian, yeah. Lillian and I actually pointed this. Noted this. Um, first of all, we actually kind of like the the daredevil vision uh, effect that they used. That's nice. You know what oh, yeah. it looked like? It looked like the uh, detective vision from the Arkham the Arkham Asylum game, and from, from the yes. radar sense scene from the Dark Knight. Yeah. Yep. So it's. I mean, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. It, well, it is always interesting because I, I I suspect they saw these movies. It is interesting how even a movie that does not work can inspire things that do work. Yeah. Although speaking of smell, some of those scenes it looks like it looks like he's not like hearing sounds but just smelling things. Yeah, no, I like, assumed way, that that was the way that there's that sort of uh, that sort of ghostly like mm. echo that follows thing. It definitely looks more like he's he's smellow visioning than, mm-hmm. than so. Well, you know, here's the funny thing: I would actually be okay with that. I'm actually okay with the idea that he smells certain things. No, we gives him a yeah, we do on. we do get. Um, in this scene, we do understand that Daredevil's weaknesses weakness is very, very loud sounds yeah. as that train is an awful weakness. Yeah, and, and an also also one that apparently he deals with every day, considering that his morning routine involves blaring heavy metal at maximum volume <laughs> in his own tiny, like cavernous apartment. Shall we talk about the soundtrack now? Because no, we let's not talk about the soundtrack. Let's not talk about Save let's, the soundtrack let's until forget the, the, this the music era video of music scenes. ever happened. Because the early 2000s is the worst era of music that I have personally lived through. It's true. Yeah. Now, pa- Patrick, Wait, we, 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 will, we will get to the soundtrack, but we will get to the soundtrack in the music video scene. And you know exactly what scene I'm talking I about. I do, in fact, know what scene you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. 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 To because, be fair, aren't because... there two music video scenes? Because aren't... Pretty much both Evanescent songs are structured. <laughs> We're talking about the second one, which the second one, which again, full disclosure, I listened really to cool. a lot of when writing as seventeen. But to be fair, <laughs> there is no way you will any of you will ever get me to show you my seventeen-year-old writing. Good. Okay, that good. Happens. I don't think any of us are looking for that. <laughs> um, uh, never show me okay, anything so that was any, written to an Evanescent soundtrack. My seventeen-year-old writing, my live journal is still up, so you could find that. So, uh, mo- moving along, we uh, we go into uh, into a coffee shop in New York where uh, Matt's best friend and uh, law partner, Foggy Nelson, played by future it's- Iron Man director John Favreau, uh, pulls horrible pranks on his blind friend involving mustard and honey. You know, here's the weird thing: I actually like those scenes because I those felt kind of real. Because to me John because Favreau like, has real actual charisma. Exactly. Partially, partially because of that. Partially just because. The idea behind these two characters has always been they have known each other forever. Yeah. And when you've known someone that long, 
you really can be that much of a dick to them, and uh, and they'll they will kind of be okay with it. Yes. Um, so also, it had a good spit take. Where, that's also the scene where it becomes very evident that they have absolutely no idea how lawyers work. Because no. the scene the scene starts with John Favreau talking about like we got a bunch of fish or basketballs or something, and we need to find clients that pay. And this is the part where I was like, wait, you're not prosecutors? What are you doing? How does this work? Yeah. If I can best describe their jobs, it's that their jobs are lawyers. Yeah. They are lawyers. Huh? Omni lawyers. They are lawyers. They are lawyers. 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 lawyers written by people who don't understand what lawyers do well, or how there are distinctions ju- between different kinds little, of lawyers. To jump ahead a little bit, they approach Wilson Fisk uh, later as though they expect it to be hired on as corporate lawyers, despite the fact that they are blatantly trial lawyers. Yeah, yeah. Those are, and and not, not, just, not, just trial, not just trial lawyers. Criminal trial lawyers. I mean, right. they're, they're not like debating corporate disputes or trademark disputes. Like these are guys yeah. who are, are in there, like deal, yeah. dealing with rape cases. Like they would be completely useless to Wilson Fisk because Wilson Fisk is not expecting to have to deal with the fact that he murdered somebody. Not Mind you, he has murdered a lot of people by the point that we reach in the movie. But that's neither here nor there. But he's the kingpin. He's untouchable. Speaking of Wilson Fisk, so, uh, his introduction is of him smoking a cigar, and then there is a well, cut Ralph. to him lighting a cigar. Fisk, by the way, played by Michael Clark Duncan. Yes. 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 Amazingly played by Michael Clark Duncan. Let's be fair. The soundtrack opening to Wilson Fisk with I'm an Outlaw, Quick on the Draw, is awesome. No. No, it's not. And you take that back. I, I had misremembered him as being played by Ben Reigns. When he showed up, I was like, oh, yeah, it's uh, Michael Clark Duncan. It's not Ben Reigns. All these years, I've been remembering it as Ben Reigns. He, he got that a lot. Michael Clark Duncan, we miss you much. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, now, um, we, in, we, in, we are... Dude, go, actually, go, you, dude, you go ahead, and then I'll, I'll move us to the next scene. Okay, in the comics, isn't Kingpin supposed to be a big fat guy? Yes. He, yes. Like, I always thought that Kingpin was supposed to be not intimidating because he's just fat. But then he, he he's actually surprisingly strong. The real-life model for the Kingpin would be Sidney Greenstreet. Okay. I can say that, yeah. Like, that, that is who the Kingpin would be. Um, unfortunately, Sidney Greenstreet, dead for about 60 years when this <laughs> film was made. Couldn't, ma- couldn't make the audition. Well, they should have, like, CGI'd him in the way that they were doing at that time. Yeah, like, right. God, it couldn't have looked worse than the other CGI in the film. God. So we are we are at the point now uh, where I do think we need to talk about the playground fight. This is this is the part. This is like the only part of the movie that I remembered. It was this. Yeah, and me too. Bullseye attacking the limo, uh, killing her dad. I remember like the two scenes I remembered. I remembered Bullseye flicking the peanut, and the stained glass, racist old woman, and. Oh, right. The uh, <laughs> the, the Buster's thumb gambit. Uh, <laughs> the the fight with Electra amidst clotheslines. I did not remember. That. Actually, I take that back. I unfortunately remember just about everything involving uh, Bullseye, with with the exception of uh, of the uh, church organ fight. I didn't remember that part of it. But everything else, like him, like throwing. Paper clips into a guy's neck for some reason. And how and, does like, mm-hmm. teaser at the killing end. him instantly? 
He throws those paper clips and the man just dies. The, there was no yeah. bleeding. What did he, he got, sever his spine? What happened there? Yeah, no, there's no. Yeah, they don't even that. go that he also, far. He had an appreciable very, amount of chin fat, so I don't yeah, know how that sounds like man. a wind pipe. This is an incredibly fat man. <laughs> so it just like it's gone into an inch of fat, yes. which is not going to kill you, even when you get six paper clips thrown in there at super high speed. Now, Bullseye's introduction, by the way, the uh, rap lyrics accompanying his introduction are, I'm Irish, but I'm not a leprechaun. <laughs> I actually also love that song, and, <laughs> and I kind of want to track it down. Yeah, I was wondering that's who that was. There. But, yes. Yeah. Um, because it features the line, it features the lyrics, oh, one more thing, top of the morning to you, and then it starts scritching the, the records. The um, the few notes that I have about that playground fight, um, one, Electra was fully prepared to beat the shit out of a blind man. <laughs> well, aren't you? <coughs> I mean, he was following her. Yes. He was sexually assaulting her. He was being very he creepy. Was. He, he was, he, though, still a blind man, and she yeah. could have kicked his head off. Well, to be yeah, fair, no, exactly. to be during fair, the course fair, of that fight, they, it becomes very clear that he is in no way actually blind, and no one doing ever in, yeah. would actually believe that he's blind. Yeah. That, that brings me to my second point. Daredevil is really terrible at hiding <laughs> secret identity. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. He, but, yeah, even, no, even that, if, that was uh, my... Go ahead, Nick. Yeah, no, I mean, but what you were just saying, that was my major takeaway. Like, I mean, e- even if she is being, like, sexually sexually harassed, assaulted by this blind man, assuming that he was not super-powered blind man, he was just, yeah. the, like, an overly aggressive yeah. blind man, what would it have looked like if she would have just, you know... Roundhouse kicked a blind man in front of 20 children. Yeah. There's no way, even if she is entirely justified from our perspective, from everyone else's perspective, she's just attacked a blind man. After yeah. of seemingly nothing. There's no way that <laughs> this plays out in any way that's good for her unless he happens to have crazy superpowers. Yeah, it's like, she is, she is... In a in a way, justify she is justified in reacting the way she does insofar as she does not want to be followed and sexually uh, harassed. Yeah. Yeah. Take a she, hint, Daredevil. Yeah. Take a hint. So, so no Matt, means no, Darren Bad. Matt handled that poorly. She handled it poorly because she tried to beat the hell out of a blind man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I, I actually was going to say this. Remember, in the flashback, a bunch of bullies then decide to beat up a blind kid. I was, oh my and God. Just, bullies are uh, let's be clear. Uh, this fight happens in the flashback. That is in the flashback's flashback. <laughs> this, <laughs> is, this is more nested flashback, Batman Mask it's of the Phantasm. <laughs> yeah. It's all one flashback. It the, yeah, starts right. like 40 right. years ago, and then it just keeps going. Yeah. And it keeps going for an That's hour fair. and a half. You're right. I... I absolutely on the on the subject of those bullies, real quick. My favorite, oh, second favorite line of every in the movie. We'll get to the favorite one later, and I'm sure Nick will share this opinion. I have one as well. Is when when the bullies come to him in the alley after he's been blinded, and one of the bullies says, "Look at him, man! Look at his eyes!" <laughs> Yes. It's yes. nice that that scar tissue completely heals as he grows up, though. Mm-hmm. Yes, mm-hmm. it's true. It works out well. <laughs> Yeah. We um, need to talk about Ben Affleck's hair at some point, by the way. Oh that is the only do, thing I about this com- that would indicate to me that he is blind. I want to talk about Derek. Quickly, while we're still on the subject of those bully flashbacks, 
the the second flashback that we them. see, um, you know, the, the bullies are picking on Matt, and um, they're they're actually about to walk away. <laughs> like they real oh, he's actually blind. You know, there's no reason to mess with this guy. Mm-hmm. And then Matt is like, actually, yeah, let's fight. And then. And then, like, beats the crap out of him. And then the fat bully runs away. <laughs> and the fat bully runs away. And, it, and it's sort of like, we're supposed to identify with this kid? Yeah. You know, he, yeah. Doesn't, he doesn't seek to avoid conflict in a very uh, intelligent way. Mm-hmm. What I was going to say is, does kind of admire the bullies for their stick to itiveness. <laughs> they, they hated this kid before he was blind, and they're not going to lay down just because, oh, now he's blind. I was Something to admire those bullies. There's two interesting things about his hair that I wanted to bring up. The first is, of course, that it is awful because it's the early 2000s and we yes, all had yes. awful hair. Well, you, that's, you, that's not, those you of us did. who listen to Evanescence did. Not yes. all of us had frosted tips, Patrick. Yeah. <laughs> Just so everyone at home knows, I'm giving Nick the finger right now. The double um, Second the, point. The second other point. thing, though, the second thing is actually more interesting because um, both Ben Affleck and whatever actor is playing kid Matt Murdock have bizarrely bad dye jobs. Because hmm. they're both black Irish. Ben Affleck is a black Irish man. The kid is clearly also Ben Affleck Irish. is not a black man. <laughs> He's black Irish, you asshole. Um, it's all black hair. I'm black Irish. Um, I thought you were American. They have these weird dye jobs. Because in, this, in the comic books, Matt Murdock is a redhead. He's a redhead. Yep. But they, they knew that. But they decided the correct approach to this was not actually apparently dyeing the hair a natural red color, but to give him what I could only describe when I was watching this movie as the Hot Topic red hair dye treatment. (laughs) Well, see, I think part of that, though, is, like, you think about Ben Affleck in this period. This was, 2003, this was the year when the public soured on Affleck. Like, this was the fall from peak athlete. This is post-Jennifer Lopez, pre-Jennifer Garner, mm. right? This, this is yeah. in the, the, the heart of the Jennifer Lopez period. Okay. So, Geely came out later this year. Yes. And Jersey Girl, I think, came out later this year. So this was Pearl like. Ironically, for Ben Affleck, right this movie may have been a financial disaster, but because it introduced him to Jennifer Garner, it worked out very, very well for him. But th- this yeah. this was like right at the start of that period before he completely collapsed and then had to reinvent himself as a film. This is right before Paycheck came out, correct? Paycheck was yes. that winter, yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. While we're on the topic of bad dye jobs, Jennifer Garner also oh. has this awful. She's got. She's got these very, very obviously bad uh, green contact lenses, yep. and they've given her sort of a spray-on tan because she's playing a, uh, a Greek, Greek woman, woman, but in no way looks Greek. Nor sounds and she has Greek, this, nor and yeah, she has Greek. this absolutely <laughs> awful, like, frosted, blonde, highlights look going through her hair. And Elektra, um, by the way, in the comics, has jet black hair. Yes. Yeah, I don't know why they're giving her that, other than it's the early 2000s, and that's what hair yeah. Am I the only one Look. who did not notice anyone's hair in this other than the fact Am that I? Ben Affleck had, like, a really bad haircut? I didn't Am notice I the color. Am I a little Although, weirded out that, the, that we're talking about the early 2000s as though this is a period film? <laughs> <laughs> well, the music really defines it. It was ten years ago. Uh, it was ten years ago. Ten years ago, hair was very different. Um... I uh, yeah. I, I don't know if the Wait. the screen that I was watching it on was particularly dark, but I had a lot of trouble distinguishing most of the colors in this film. It was all extremely dark 
black skins and it was muddy. It was well, actually, I mean, watching watching it, I was thinking this may have been the beginning of the period, which lasts to this day, of films being that really like dark, metallic kind of gray, yeah. having that kind yeah. of color timing. Well, I guess we were getting to the point where digital color correction was something yeah. that was right, really coming into its prime. Well, Oh Brother, Where Out Thou? Where Art Thou was the first. Yeah. Was two thousand yeah. was the first major yeah. release to have digital color correction. I didn't know that. I mean, uh, yeah. this is also you have to remember this is in the wake. Of, this is near the end times of that sort of blade aesthetic. Well, and this is just before the first Matrix sequel came out as well. Which is, which is, I would consider the death knell of the blade aesthetic because the Matrix sequel was so bad. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, look, look at the way they. De- I'm very, I'm going to be very interested to see how they depict um, Daredevil's costume in in the new TV show because mm-hmm. in the movie. It's very clearly based on that Matrix aesthetic. It's that sort of, like, very yeah. dark leather, you know, um, mm. we all just joined a biker gang and we're about to go jump into a William Gibson novel kind of look. Did, yeah. did you guys notice the, yes. the Matrix shot where uh, all the... Which one? At the, at the end when all the cops are running up the spiral stairs, uh, the mm-hmm, shot from mm-hmm. above. Yep. I su- saw that uh, and I was like, this is straight out of the Matrix. Yeah. I was thinking of the bullet time shot where he's dodging... Uh, dodging the same oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. So we, we've had our introduction. At this point, we, we have 40 minutes into the film, met all of our principals. Um, yeah, still no plot. Still no plot. Um, Plot's still about 10 minutes out. Yeah. 10, we, uh, at this point, we start getting into the point where Daredevil or Matt and Elektra's romance is uh, blossoming. Uh, one, one note I have so that they meet no on the reasons. yeah they meet on the streets of New York. Electra finds him by coincidence on the streets of New York because in New York it's very easy to bump into the same people twice in random places. Well, she said um, she knew she would find him, so she ah, did. That's true. <laughs> what, what, I knew I'd run into what, you randomly I, on the street. <laughs> a note that I made as I was watching this, and particularly this scene, is the New York of this film. Even though everything else about this film is the 2000s, the New York of this film is the New York of the 1970s. I yes. mean, it, it, it is a gritty, seedy place with seedy people. Matt talks about Hell's Kitchen, or, yeah, Hell's Kitchen, as this horrible, horrible place. This was ten years from when I lived in New York, and maybe it was a really terrible place in the early 2000s. When I lived in New York, uh, Hell's Kitchen was like a hip-happening area with a ton of restaurants and, like, cool little places. So, Here's the thing about Derek. I mean, yeah. we, we, we often like to talk about these films as adaptations. Mm-hmm. And one of the thing, curious things about Daredevil is that Daredevil really is such a product of the 1970s to the point where... Late 70s, yeah. Yeah, when... when okay, slight backstory. Fox owned Daredevil for a very long time, and then they couldn't, they couldn't get around to making a Daredevil movie, so the rights reverted to um, Disney now. Mm-hmm. Marvel Studios at the time, but now Disney. And one of the things is there's a sizzle reel out there that you can find if you look for it. I don't remember the director that made it, but he made a sizzle reel about Daredevil. And a sizzle reel, for those of you not in the industry, i.e. everybody here but me, um, is when you take pieces, when you cut up pieces of existing movies to make a kind of, this is what I think my movie will feel like. The sizzle reel you're talking about came out a couple years ago, and it was Joe Carnahan. Thank you, Joe Carnahan. Thank you for reminding me. Yes. And it was all stuff like The Warriors or uh, Dirty Harry, just 1970s movies about how god-awful New York is. Daredevil works best in that area where New York is not the kind of nice place it is now, but when it's the 
god awful hellhole it was back in the 70s. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I think part of the problem is that Daredevil is very much tied to that specific neighborhood. Yes. Yeah. So, so the fact that the neighborhood is gentrified, mm -hmm. and I'm sure it's more gentrified now than it was, but I'm pretty sure in 2003 it was still not anyway like it was. Yeah. But I mean, if you have Spider-Man, Spider-Man's always going to be defending New York, but there's always going to be a crappy part of New York, so it kind of makes some sense. But whereas Hell's Kitchen is very much Daredevil's stomping ground, and Hell's Kitchen is not Hell's Kitchen. Yeah. It's, it's Clinton, as the movie points out, it's called Clinton now. Yeah. Yes. So Daredevil, or Matt and Elektra have met. They go up to a rooftop that Matt loves. Mm -hmm. um, we have a scene where... It begins to rain, so Matt can see. <laughs> I like this scene, and you can all go to hell. We will. And, uh, and I will then, gladly and go to hell then, for this scene. I've already been to hell for 110 minutes earlier. Uh, 100 <laughs> minutes earlier today. <laughs> and then they uh, they make love in a scene that is a cross between the sex scene from Highlander and the sex scene from. Or, Yes, the singular sex scene from The Room. Louie and I were trying to figure out exactly where physically they were, because that sex scene opens with, like, they angel statues. They were on statues. a sound stage, Patrick. <laughs> uh, they were in Matt Murdock's apartment, his weird cavernous apartment, which may or may not also be his bat cave. Well, the thing we were pointing out was that the, the first shot, the first, like, little physical shot is... Angel statuary of the kind you only find in the Catholic Church. So we came to assume that they had gone into his priest confessor's Catholic Church no, and were just banging on the floor. No, no, he's got, he has absolutely insane angelic statues in his bat cave. Remember, it's like, true. When he, like oh, after, yeah. after, he's murdered the, yeah. after he murders the entire like, like club, just to get in that better. one rapist, just to get in that one guy, he murders everybody. He goes to his bat cave where he has these. Uh, these tumblers that he just spins and stops them because he's yes. blind and the superpowers. And he goes in and he's surrounded by angel statues because he's very, very, very Catholic. <laughs> yeah, Dude, uh, Catholicism is a huge part of the character. Yeah, that's, that's, no, that's true. Specific, specifically, but Catholic the movie goes very, a major it's very hard yeah. on the Catholicism, even if it is a very big part of the character. Yeah, means very hard. Well, his his only re like his significant connections as an adult whose father was murdered are his law partner Foggy, and his priest. Like th yeah. those are his his actual connections, and it's I get what they were trying to do because it's a well established theme in the comics where Daredevil he he dresses as a devil but he is a Catholic a deeply Catholic man. And there, there is the contrast between the mission he has adopted and the faith that he, he uh, holds. And I get what they're trying to do with that in this film. I'm not quite sure that they executed it successfully because I, I say this as, as a non-Catholic. It was a very superficial kind of Catholicism. Like it's, you know, what, what, is, what's a, what do Catholics do? Uh, they go to confession, uh, they got angels and shit, you know, like things like that. <laughs> Like it, There's some stained glass and yeah. giant organs, and the priest has like a very thick accent. Yeah, it was that's not you, like a you. Lucky Charms accent. Yeah, pretty much. It was not a desire. And he's a leprechaun. Yeah. They got they also the guy looked like the poor man's Brian Cox. I felt like you know what I disagree with you. I disagree with you. I thought he looked like the poor man's Jeremy Irons. See, all right. I'll we'll split the difference. I thought he looked like a shorter version of the poor man's Christopher Lee. 
we can all agree that he's the poor man something. He is the poor man he's someone. Poor man. Someone somewhere says, I need this guy. We can't afford him. And they go, all right, bring that guy from Daredevil in. Can someone tell me how he's able to withstand jumping off a building and surviving like a 30-story drop? Onto I, I a window washer's platform. Because he's blind. Because he's blind, dude. No, 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 no. I'm going to disagree with you on this one. It's because of wires. Because if you. Literally, he's not the only one with that power. Derek, uh, Electra and Bullseye yeah, both pull so, off some truly absurd leaps. And then later on in the movie, uh, Kingpin. Like one-handed, half-ass throws Daredevil across the room. Like he, he yeah, he's 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 the the right? I mean, yeah. he goes has super strength. Level for twenty feet. The the in-universe explanation that they give, and Matt talks about this at the beginning of the film, is my enhanced sense of touch enabled me to have you know incredible balance and all all that. Yeah, stuff. balance fine, but, that, but you can't yeah, leap but twenty balance. stories and just land. <laughs> well, I mean, like, with, with, with it, within the context of the universe, within the context of that, within the context of that of that universe, I can imagine a, a fan wanked explanation where like, okay, he knew it, the exact moment when to pitch himself forward uh-huh. and you know, do, do all of this stuff. What I can't justify is why Electra and Bullseye can do the same thing. Yeah. No. Um, okay, so I let's cannot. see. Maybe we'll find out when we unfortunately have yeah. to why watch does, Electra in a few months. Why does Electra have all those Bullseye? bags of sand <laughs> that she stabs all over her floor? Well, and who we, is we dropping them? Do, we'll, we'll, we, oh, we are, where did no, they no, come guys, from? Guys, 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 guys. We, we are two scenes away from that. Okay. But okay. We, we have... Two things we need to get through first. Oh, okay. God. What are those? First, like of all, first of all, we have the uh, the exciting gala party scene. Oh, yes. A number, a yeah, number, can hear smoke. A number of... Yeah, we, a, num- a number of things happen. that I actually like that comes from Pat John I, I, I know what the line you're going to say is. We'll get there in a second. The, the two things going into this scene. One... Um, I got real sick of these fucking transition scene to scene where we were whipping around the city and spinning around Those buildings very, very quickly. <laughs> it was better than Those earlier when uh, we had the scene, we had the playground fight that was followed by a, the introduction of Kingpin, followed by immediately them like leaving the playground and then cutting back to Kingpin immediately. <laughs> they just split them up for no reason. <laughs> that, that's one. It's dynamic. Uh, we, we go into this scene. Where uh, Ben Yurick is at this party for some reason, um, and Matt goes to meet with Electra, who is at this party, while Foggy gropes the breast of an eagle bust with giant tits. <laughs> it's a harpy bust. It's and the only bust. thing I could think of when I saw that was a bird with giant breasts. It's a Howard the Duck tribute. <laughs> 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 but yeah, so we we have this scene where uh, Electra is all dressed up. Fisk is at the party. They have the alluded meeting with Fisk. Patrick, I, I think I know the line you're going to say that you like. And, and again, when we talk about pulling on the strings of things in this movie that actually are kind of nice, uh, g- go ahead and say the line, and I'll tell you if it's the same thing I'm thinking of. Uh, the line is um, it's just after Wilson Fisk is. Uh, you know, they, they, Matt has given him the brush off in like the least, mm-hmm. in the most hilariously untactful way possible. We only defend innocent people. We're, we're literally going to be like, okay, thank you for your card, bye, and they just never called yeah. him. Um, 
And then Matt, and then Froggy's like, God damn it, Matt, I just wish, I wish, and then he catches Son of Electra. And the line that I really like is, I wish I could lend you my eyes for one night. I thought that was great. The one that I was thinking of was actually when he goes up to her and he, he smells her in a really weird way. Yeah. <laughs> a really fucking weird way. And uh, th th they start dancing. And she says, he, you know, like, she knows he's blind at this point and all that stuff, but she says, I wanted to look beautiful for you tonight. And that, that struck, is a great line. That struck me as like, given the context in which their relationship was evolving, that struck me as like a, an oddly beautiful sentiment. Like, I yeah. really fucking liked that. Yeah. Too bad it came from Jennifer Garner. I like Jennifer Garner. You take I, that I, Jennifer Garner. I've never cared for her. I, see, I, I like Alias. Oh, that was I thought the other thing, Alias was a really good show for three seasons. I like Jennifer Garner, so I I, I had no problem coming from. No, no, I mean, I'm ambivalent towards Jennifer Garner. I mean, that's the thing about any any movie, even even when it's not great. Like I said, you can always find kind of bits of oh, that actually was kind of nice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so, I mean, <laughs> that's. The, the, the arc that they have set up for, for that relationship to move through the film is you have the establishment of the relationship in the extremely weird way that it is established. You have that brief moment where it is an actual relationship, and then you have the, the degeneration and the tragic end. Um, that's the only moment in the film where I actually believe that this was a real relationship where these two people could actually be attracted yeah. to each other. Right. Um, I actually felt like the, the fight scene had more chemistry. <laughs> God. God. Uh, I'll point out my favorite line when it comes up later. Derek, we are at uh, we are at about <laughs> I just came across a note <laughs> that I We're wrote in We're at about in the that... point the plot rears its head. Yeah, I, I, just, <laughs> I came across a note that I had forgotten I had made when uh, the kingpin slips a rose into Electra's father's breast pocket. <laughs> and the I note... Think my the note that I, I made. Talk about this too. The note that I made was, I think Wilson Fisk might be the villain. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's the thing that I find really strange. Like it's clearly the most threatening thing that he could say, but Electra's father's reaction is not like, "Holy shit, he's about to kill me." It's like, "What the fuck did that mean?" <laughs> As though there's any like ambiguity or subtlety to the weird like, "I'm just saying goodbye and slip a rose into a, into another man's lapel." Well, to be fair, yeah, I, let, let's <laughs> say that a man came up to you and slipped a rose into your lapel. That is slightly ambiguous. <laughs> yes, but not if I know that he is the, the kingpin of crime, yeah. in New York, and <laughs> that he loves leaving roses as a death calling card, and that he wants to murder me. <laughs> well, his confusion may have be been... Red his confusion may have been, why does he want to murder me, or is this really happening? Like, does he really want to murder me? It may not have been, what does yes. the rose mean? Mm. Yes, I guess. It just... He, see, he seemed... He seems he confused to find himself in this awful war. film. <laughs> yes. I was like, I was in Stargate. Why am I here? Because <laughs> no. that's what I associate that actor with. Oh, okay. I, really I started to say it him with Heroes, which is not a step up. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. That makes sense. Derek, would you care, and you can say no to this. <laughs> would you care to, uh, to walk us through the scene where Electra's father gets killed? The inexplicable <laughs> motorcycle fight scene. 
Motorcycle. So, um, Electra and Electra's father are um, fleeing the party in a limousine after um, Electra's father, uh, Natachios is the last name. Nachios. 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 I, anyway, I seriously believe John Favreau improvised about half of his lines yeah. in this movie. He is easily the best yeah. part of this movie by a fairly I don't know. I like Kevin Smith. <laughs> we'll, we'll get to Kevin Smith in a moment. Kevin De- Smith has like four lines. Yeah. But yeah, okay. Derek, they, no. are, they are fleeing the scene in their limousine. Uh, enter Bullseye! Ah! Uh, God! Wait, wait, wait. wait. Right. With a scar on the head, forehead, <laughs> Bullseye? <laughs> Yes, you know, bullseye with with uh, an incredibly, I thought, inventive uh, <laughs> trademark scar. I have imagined to see like he had the scar forehead. and then he did have like a tiny TM. <laughs> right, it's a literal bullseye <laughs> on his forehead. Um, uh, riding a motorcycle rather erratically and dangerously through mm. the streets of New York. Um, on the way to... The curiously uh, empty streets of New York. <laughs> exactly. Uh, on his way to uh, assassinate uh, Nachos. Mm-hmm. Um, Nachos. <laughs> Nachos. Um, <laughs> suddenly, uh, as uh, Nachos and Electra realize they are being followed, um, the, they, they also notice that there is a New York Post truck in front of them. <gasps> and ju- before they can stop the limo... <laughs> Uh, Bullseye throws his, like, you know, throwing her, yeah, sure, thank you, shuriken, uh, sort of, like, whirlpool-shaped things. Takes out the drivers. You're missing a very important part of how he does this. What he does is he stands up on his in-motion motorcycle (laughs) and is riding around on his, like, he's in a circus performer, riding around on his motorcycle, standing on it, while throwing shootings. Mm. Clearly, I blotted this out of my memory because oh, it's by this, in my mind because I fucking hate it. By this point in the film, I was probably like, "Yeah, sure, why not?" Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's pretty. Yeah, the film wears you down. This is the point it where does. I was yeah. checking how much was left in the film. Literally every three minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, he takes out the drivers. The limo crashes. Uh, there's Luckily, a lot of product placement for the New York Post, by th- the way. There really is. Yeah. Oh, Daredevil's following on a uh, rooftop, Electra notices. Dare, yes, Daredevil is following on a rooftop. Um, he uh, he starts fighting with uh, Bullseye and makes Bullseye miss. miss. <laughs> he oh, miss. <laughs> you know, I will say they give this to Colin Farrell. Colin Farrell is the kind of actor who really just gives everything. Let's fucking talk about Colin Farrell's <laughs> performance in this I film. Because I hate I him feel- so much. I fucking hate him. <laughs> Why do you hate Colin Farrell, Nick? Because he, he was Bullseye! <laughs> but, but he also gave us In Bruges. Yeah, In Bruges is, is a solid, solid film. Yeah. I've not seen that. It's very I, good. I fully admit... I fully admit that I have not exposed myself to much of his oeuvre, specifically because of how much I fucking hate this movie. I actually think that, that made, he is probably the best part this of this This is the beginning of my, my, my hate I, affair I, with I, Colin Farrell. I just fucking despise mean, him, and it's entirely because of this movie. You Colin mean you didn't, Farrell, if you're you, listening to this, I don't hate you. <laughs> yeah. You mean you didn't like it when, when Colin Farrell introduced himself as Bullseye? Huh? <laughs> 
He's really big. Nobody who ever meets Bullseye does not know what his name is. I, because he will find a way to pull I up a Bullseye and throw something very precisely and go, Bullseye! Bullseye! Pointing at his fucking stupid thing on his face. No, I probably didn't write that. Bester, I'm going to go against you here. Because I actually think you? that Colin Farrell may have been the only person in the film genuinely giving it his all. You could argue that his performance was not particularly good, but goddammit, it he, he, it made, he made choices <laughs> and was committed to those choices throughout yeah. the film. No, that's exactly what we... The crazy eyes. I, will, I will give him that very little. I will give him that much. I yeah. don't think it. I don't think it helps. I still fucking hate him. I never want to watch anything with him, and I'm mad at him for. Both you should watch in Bruges. Uh, You're still holding that grudge. I think you should really just be mad at Mark Stephen Johnson for the script. Uh, he can't be mad the, at Mark Stephen Johnson. Mark Stephen Johnson directed Ghost Rider. Yes, I know. <laughs> and he was an executive producer on the Good Ghost Rider film. Really? That's fascinating. Yes. Uh, so, he also wrote both grumpy old men films. <laughs> <laughs> interesting. I actually don't like those movies. I don't believe that. I don't believe Oh my so wait, god! Somebody, somebody said we need somebody to direct the Daredevil movie. Get me the man who wrote Grumpier <laughs> Old Men. This is the, what? That's an amazing. Yes. Okay. This is this is what. This is, according to Wikipedia, what Mark Stephen Johnson has written. Grumpy old men, grumpier old men, big bully. Yeah. <laughs> Grumpiest old men? Simon big Birch. Bully? Jack Frost, starring Michael Keaton, not the horror film called Jack Frost. Holy fuck, he, was, he wrote that? Yes. Wow. Daredevil, Ghost Rider, and something called When in Rome. I know When in Rome. Um, that was a, uh, oh God. I've heard Is of that. Is that a romantic comedy? I think so. Um, oh, yeah, it's got Kristen with, Bell. Um, and, uh, with, uh, yeah, yeah, Kristen yeah, Bell. Yeah, 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 yeah. I remember... Josh Duhamel and Will Arnett. No, John there is a, Peter. It was like the beginning of Kristen Bell being a movie Angelica star. Houston. Wow. That's a, a pretty dramatic shift in tone going from, like, he wrote Grumpy Old Men and Big Bully. Yeah. And, uh, Simon, Simon Birch. Birch. <laughs> and the, yeah. Simon hey. Birch. You, ta- you <laughs> take, you take what jobs you can get out here. Well, Johnson, like, actively pursued Daredevil. Like, I, I think it was set up original. Who, who ended up releasing this? Was it Regency? Um, um, yeah, Regency. Well, that was, yeah, that was uh, the Regency produced it. Yeah, and I can't remember who released it, but. The Fox uh, I, yeah, Fox released it. And Fox. then Sony had, uh, had had the rights at one point, and I believe that Johnson had pitched himself to Sony, gotten the job, Sony lost the rights. Fox got them, and then Johnson repitched himself. Like, he actively pursued this because he didn't want to make any more Simon Birches, apparently. Um, <laughs> good God. Um, uh, now, I, I will say, uh, I, I know this is getting kind of exhausting, but I think there's only like 25 minutes left in the film. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, plot, I need to go. There's very little left, even though the plot has literally just emerged. Um, um, this is the point where the plot begins. So well, the, we also, yeah, so Nachios gets um, impaled yes. by, uh, by Daredevil's it's, nunchuck. Okay. Fortunately, it's, Daredevil has it's, it's, it's nunchuck, it's, grappling hook, cane. Uh, White cane and, um, for the, what was the other thing? To get my nerd on, to get my nerd on, it's technically called his Billy Club. 
It's Billy Club. It's Billy Club. Yeah. It's, it's, well, a, it's a Daredevil brand multi -tool. It has a blunt yeah, end, and he throws it like 100 yards, and it pierces his sternum. Without crushing dude, his chest. Dude, dude. Bullseye. 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 Yeah. Huh? But then Bullseye. later, he throws that, that, that sharpened garot. collection garot. plate. It's also a garage. Yeah, that's right. It, uh, he throws that collection plate, and it hits Ben Affleck in the neck and does not cut him. Nope. It seems like he should have at been one point decapitated. He, yeah, at one point, he it throws seem like a that playing card at Electra, and it cuts her neck, and her reaction is not, ooh, that stings like a paper cut. The way she reacts is as though her throat has been slit. Despite the fact that she is very obviously not bleeding out of her throat. Uh. No. But it's very clear that nothing about how his powers work or the reactions from things being thrown makes any goddamn sense. You know, as evidenced by the fact that he murdered somebody earlier with paper clips and a peanut. Peanuts. Uh, yeah, the pe peanuts probably peanuts pro for, for as dangerous as peanuts may maybe the old woman had a peanut allergy. Yeah. But a peanut is probably not gonna get lodged in your throat. Can, can we also hey, you know the funny thing? I actually you, you can kind of accept Bullseye's powers even as ridiculous as they are, just because He has ridiculous. no powers! We are talking about him as if he has powers, but he does not have powers. He okay. has very, very precise <laughs> aim stuff. He has preternatural aim. If you want to be pedantic about it. He's got taste skills or uh, yeah. That old woman on the plane also died without putting up any he kind of fight. She's an old racist woman. Both of those first two people that he killed just die. <laughs> I, I, the, the old woman's rant on the plane yeah. just about made me puke, by the way. <laughs> I, I thought it was what she's talking about. She was talking about her son-in-law, and she... Yeah. Uh, she she, 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 mulatto, yes. yeah, she, she refers to him as a mulatto. I believe it was. He was a semi-colored fella. So it, it, quite, it quite literally Mariah. was it was the Buster's thumb gambit. It was that old racist woman died. Yes. <laughs> um, I need to go fairly soon, but uh, I, I would like to. I, I have two more things I want to point out um, specifically. Go for it, and then we will finish up the conversation. That police sniper yes. who shoots through the stained glass window. What is he shooting at, and why? Why does he fire? You can't see anything through that. He just shoots a bullet. Why does he not fire again? Why does he, why does he have only that one bullet? Because he fires and gets rid of all that stained glass, and so he should be able to have a clear shot, and nobody moves for like 30 seconds afterwards. And his boss told him shot. to be on the lookout for both Bullseye and Daredevil. And, and like cover both of them as if that was Fun possible. Fact, cops are not actually supposed to take shots. Unless they feel that someone's life is in physical danger. And also, from a symbolism point of view, so there we have our hero is quite literally dressed as the devil, and our villain has just been crucified. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he, he, they, he, they make a point of him reaching uh, out to the sides. Out, so you can see that he's got, he gets his hands shot through, and he holds them out so you can see he has stigmata yes. now. Yeah. And, and like, then he, like, he, he moves them directly out from his side, like all the way out. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. Why are okay. we comparing the homicidal psychopath to Jesus? Because the exactly. film does it for us. <laughs> yeah. So, Dude, before you go, uh, any any last things you want to yeah, say? Yeah. The other thing was my. This immediately uh, precedes my my favorite line uh, when when Daredevil throws uh, throws Bullseye out of the church and he lands on uh, on uh, Joe Joy Pantoliano's Pants. car and Joy Joe Pants. Pantoliano takes his cue from Keanu Reeves in The Matrix and says, Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
That's good. Uh, I would like to also point out, I was just thinking about this, if there was any, like, then-Christian symbolism to the fight with uh, Kingpin, could it not be said to be a baptism? Oh my my oh. God! Your brains have been blown. And it, it was it was uh, it was truly a David versus Goliath contest there as well. It's true. It was also yes. All right, so Dooge, uh, you have to drop off. You're going to leave us to uh, to clean up the rest of this mess. <laughs> uh, I mean, I can hang out until my girlfriend gets here, but she should be here shortly. Although I probably should take no, go. Just go. Yeah. It's, <laughs> Thanks. We don't like. Thanks. <laughs> we hate you. All right. We hate you, you and out. you smell. Have you a great smell so bad, I can smell uh, you over the internet. Uh, we, we love you. S- send us your file, and, and we'll uh, we'll go from there. Okay. All right. Bye, dude. Bye. I feel like we've I think we've skipped over the entire part where Electra dies and also wants revenge and everything that happens. We, we, we just we, essentially we, skipped to the climax. We're going to that. So so all right. Um, so Electra's uh, father is killed. She blames Daredevil because she saw him. Um, saw him and his weapon is what kills him. Yep, it's Matt, not entirely unreasonable. Yep, Matt, Although, Matt. I will point out, she did also, if she was awake to see that, she also was awake to see him fighting off the homicidal maniac who threw throwing stars at them. So he, he was on a motorcycle. But she doesn't, she doesn't know what killed the, uh, the her bodyguards. Yep. She can go and look. Yep. But so, she didn't. So she decides that uh, Daredevil killed her father and decides that she's going to seek vengeance on him and mm-hmm. is, uh, is apparently, for, apparently training for this in a music video. It takes two uh, Evanescent songs for her to do it. Who First wa- at her funeral, then in the weird training montage. Who wants to, uh, to describe the training montage? I do. Pat, oh, okay, go ahead. Go ahead. It's all, all yours. Right. I want to describe nice. the training montage because um, it's going to be cathartic for me because I listened to a lot of that song growing up. Ah, uh, so, good. I, I'm glad that we're working through issues tonight. Yes. So to so that everyone understands, the song being played is Evanescence's Bring Me to Life. And it is two scenes cross-cutting. Daredevil has just learned via Benyuri kind of vaguely that that Electra's on Bullseye's hit list. It's not exactly clear how he learns this, but he does. Um, so he's doing his big suit-up number, and it's the full Batman and Robin suit-up where it's like, zip, buckle, zip, snap. <laughs> While at the same time, Electra is in a big open music video room with her sigh, which is Electra's signature weapon from the comics. Not established prior to this scene. <laughs> no. She just no. Suddenly, she's just suddenly in a weird leather bustier and wheeling sigh. And looking right. good. Yeah, she's looking good. I think we can all agree <laughs> on that. Um, and then all these uh, sandbags just drop from the ceiling. Although it's not clear how they're being dropped from the ceiling, <laughs> or who's dropping them, or where they're coming from. They're magical sandbags, everyone. Yeah. And she starts sighing her way through the sandbags, and then martial art kicks, his, kicks a few sandbags. And then finally, um, she lands, and a <laughs> sandbag... With like a Wilson from <laughs> Castaway. <laughs> it's a Devil Wilson. It's a Devil Wilson. It looks like Daredevil. Then she throws a sigh at the, at the sandbag, and then all of a sudden she's standing by a mirror that wasn't there five seconds ago. And okay, good. I wanted to know I wasn't the only one who did not know about that mirror until she suddenly. Yeah. And then she's she's kind of breathing heavily, and she looks back at herself, and then. The full last crescendo of Bring Me to Life hits, and then Daredevil is, like, doing this sort of slow patrol on her rooftop. This is the point in the film where, in my notes, I wrote, uh, this feels like the outline of a film, not a film. (laughs) Yeah. 
I would like to point out that this movie has no fucking clue how Psy work, and this might go back to Frank Miller, because I don't know, maybe this is just how he established it. Because Psy, Psy are essentially like a countermeasure. They're like defensive, like to grapple with someone else's weapons. They're not actually even particularly sharp. They're certainly not throwing weapons, and if you slash somebody with them, you're not going to cut open a sandbag with them. Well, but you know, billiard clubs can... are not throwing weapons as well, and uh, I think Raphael from the Ninja Turtles would dispute your uh, your contention. Well, fun, fun story. Raphael from the Ninja Turtles is actually a direct result of Daredevil because Dare, the Ninja that. Turtles were created yeah. as a mockery of Frank Miller's of Frank Daredevil. Frank Miller, Daredevil. that's correct. I did yeah. not know that there was that direct a connection. But yeah, yeah no, and, and so the Raphael Psy are a reference to Electra Psy. And, and it is mm-hmm. in the Psy being like super ultra sharp, that's Frank Miller. That's yeah. So Frank I, Miller. I imagined it was Frank Miller, given Frank mm-hmm. Miller. Yeah. <laughs> so Frank so you, you mentioned uh, that we are uh, Daredevil is suddenly patrolling rooftops. This was actually the single most confusing scene of the film to me. Yes, it is because very if, if we were talking, uh, talk about editing in a film and the way that a film is edited and the way, in particular, the scene is edited. We see three different characters moving among darkened rooftops. I had no idea where any character was in relation to any other character. For the duration of the scene, <laughs> until they appeared in the same frame together. That sounds about right. It is contiguity-wise. It was uh, baffling. Like it, yes. it, it was, it was absolutely music video logic. Like it was. Why are they there? Because it looks cool. Where are they? They're there, man. <laughs> They're on rooftops. The yeah. coolest place in the city. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing's cooler than a rooftop. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know how much of that was related to the the editing to get it down to a PG thirteen. Mm-hmm. You know, I maybe. I, I can't um, say anything. I've actually yeah, seen the director's yeah. cut, so I'm yeah. keeping my mouth yeah. shut. Um, so wait, one thing I do want to go back before we get fully into this. There's another aspect to this sort of the the setting up of this climactic fight between Daredevil and Elektra and Bullseye, uh, and it's Bullseye. Back at, uh, oh at Kingpin headquarters, uh, bitching. He is absolutely furious, and he yells out, "He made me miss!" And he demands that he gets a <laughs> costume. By the way, by he the asks way. for a costume, and his costume and is a lace-up leather duster. Like it's laced up the back. It's very weird, kinky fetish wear that he's dressed in. By and way, this is the trivia. costume that he demands. Slight trivia note: the dead guard uh, that you know had the pencil in his throat. Yeah, um, that's Frank Miller. Yep. Was it? Oh, yeah. All right. It's I a dead Frank that. Miller. <sighs> so they're on the rooftop. Electra jumps out. She stabs uh, Daredevil, and then says she wants to look into the eyes of her followers. There's killer. No, oh, no, no, no. We've skipped over my favorite line, or my okay. least favorite line. Oh yes. yeah, go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> go ahead when go they ahead. start fighting. Uh, he yells out, I didn't kill your father! And she yells out, LIAR! <laughs> <laughs> to, to be fair, to be fair, she does not yell out liar. She gasps liar. Liar! <laughs> <laughs> and then she stabs him in, like, the upper it, shoulder region. It was our... Not a yeah. For some reason. It, it was it's, top, like a, yeah. it's like a half foot above the heart. Like, it's in the right side for the heart. No, but the, 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 I'm actually gonna, I saw you tweet about this, Nick. 
I want to count you in this one because <clears throat> movies have taught us that being sh- hit in the shoulder is not a big deal. It is actually a really big goddamn deal to get hit in the shoulder. Like, it's, it's really debilitating. Yes, but not in movie logic. <laughs> Which logic is this film playing by? <laughs> movie logic. But it doesn't even make sense given, like, in the sense of, like, character, character communicativeness. If she wants to revenge her father, why didn't she just, like, stab him in the heart or in the head? Because <laughs> she wanted to look into the eyes of her father's killer. <laughs> Yes. Uh, and shockingly, it's Ben Affleck. Yep. What a twist. <laughs> we're getting to, the, to, we're getting to like the we're getting to like the twenty minutes of the movie that actually has a plot. You don't want to miss that. You don't want to miss wonderful <laughs> momentum. The the only point in the film that is not in a flashback. It's true. Yes. Okay. So actually to go back to Patrick's point about shoulder injuries. Are shoulder injuries life threatening though? They can be. Depends on what uh, I guess on what veins get hit. Yeah, it can okay. be actually. Anyway, it seems like it still seems like they're overplaying how much mortal peril is in, mm. particularly because he's like the entire flashback is structured as, uh, you know how they say that uh, your whole life flashes before your eyes. It's true, even for a blind. Man. Okay, here's what I'll give you. Uh, I will give then, you. And then we get back to the present, and he just kind of stands up and fights uh, fights bullseye. Here's what mortal I'll peril gi- gone. Here's here's what I'll give you. I will grant you that it is not a particularly life-threatening injury. Like, it is, however, a very debilitating injury. It is going to make it harder for him to fight Bullseye. Bullseye okay, is at an advantage. Fair enough. I'm not. I'm not arguing that. It was more that it was treating it as though he was dying. And I'm like, this hurts like the Dickens. I do not want to be stabbed in my shoulder. Please, no one stab me in my shoulder. That would probably hurt more than everything has ever hurt in my life. But I probably won't die. So, uh, they're on the rooftop. Bullseye kills Electra in a scene quite literally directly well, out of Frank Miller's comic. Well, yeah, she throws a sigh at him. He catches it. She's, he throws the sigh back. She tries to catch it. Gets it through her hand. Yeah. He, so. And he kills her. And, like, it's just it's this very iconic shot from Daredevil. Like, it is maybe Daredevil's most iconic panel. From, yeah, from, from the comic, yeah. Stabs are through. Stabs are through, and then we we are finally caught back up. The flashback has ended, and we at this finally. point, yeah, we at an this, hour and a half in. We yeah. at this point have my three least favorite points in the film, all all, with, right. all within about three minutes of each other. Let, 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 let's let the man list his three fa- least so favorite points. First is when Daredevil climbs the pipe organ, and Bullseye follows him. Um, the the reason that bothers me, Der- Derek, you talked about this earlier. Th- this was the point where CGI was starting to become more uh, more prevalent, and this was 2003, so it was after after uh, Two Towers, Lord of the Rings Two Towers, where Gollum mm-hmm. was such a magnificent little CGI thing. This was not so magnificent CGI-wise, and the thing that I thought when I was watching it was you think about the, the web-swinging scenes in Spider-Man, where mm-hmm. he's going through the city. And they looked pretty good. They did a pretty good job adding weight and texture to it. It wasn't perfect, but it was pretty good. And here they did a terrible job. And the difference to me seemed to be, in Spider-Man, they had the benefit of dealing with a full body suit, a full mask. You didn't have to animate skin texture. You didn't have to animate the way that skin reflected light, reflected perspiration. Here, also... It's also all skin tight, very, as opposed to like the duster thing that right. uh, Bullseye's yeah. in. Yeah, flowing. Yeah. 
And it, it just looked incredibly fake. Like, he, even in a film where a lot of things looked fake, like that fucking rat at the beginning of the film, <laughs> this looked really fake. The second, thing, the, <laughs> the second thing that bothered me was uh, the Batman moment. When all of the bats fly out of the pipe organ. <laughs> yes. For some reason. Yeah. Because obviously, in that sort of superficial Catholicism way, all Catholic churches have giant organs and obviously. L- I literally turned to Lillian and when this happened and said, this church, of course, is the Thomas and Martha Wayne Memorial Church. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's, ugh. I don't know what they were getting at there. Like, is it, is it a deliberate Batman reference? Are you just trying to be cool and give a shock? Like, what, what the hell are you doing? I and mean, it the, feels like the sort of thing you'd have in, like, a 3D movie. Because they all just fly out at the uh, thing. So it's just this camera. weird, like, cinema of spec, uh, spectacle attraction. thing that's just like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. cinema of attraction thing. It's just like, it's there. Why? Yeah. And then the third thing was the scene where Bullseye throws a bunch of pieces of stained glass at Daredevil. <laughs> and misses, not because Daredevil <laughs> dodges them. Because Daredevil has the temerity, the audacity to do backflips. <laughs> he does about, like here, two backflips. Yes. He, he does the backflips, back. but also the very last piece of uh, of stained glass. Like when he's done doing his backflips, there's one more piece that even if he hadn't been backflipping, was clearly going to miss because it's like three feet above his back and just hits the wall behind him. That that piece was never going to hit will him. Point this what out. the fuck, bullseye? Daredevil does the backflips. Instead of just dive hitting the floor, which would make Bullseye, it made it very hard for Bullseye to hit him with yeah, stained glass. Yeah, just fucking yeah. drop. <laughs> uh, it does not seem like it would be that hard for uh, Bullseye to uh, have missed prior. Although, it's also, entirely possible that previous, yeah, previous that, to this, all he ever did was play darts. Because yeah. he's just some guy who's in this weird Irish pub, uh, or like a pub where people are really antagonistic to the Irish. Uh, it's any British for pub, some though. reason, uh, it's and all, yeah, yeah, I don't no, know. If I, he's supposedly supposed to be this train train killer. Maybe he's just a darts guy. I don't know. <laughs> well, there's also this weird way where that he he like collects the the pieces of glass in his hands, like they're like they're stacked pies or something. It's like, whoop, whoop, whoop. and then when he throws them, it's not like he's like throwing them in a precision way, like he's thrown everything else in the movie. He just like. <laughs> He, like, hurls them at in just, yeah, like, a yeah, single like, sort the, of... The, the first like, thing he does is he has these two giant, like, three-foot-high stacks of the... One of them, he just straight-up throws the entire stack. Which yeah. is not going to hit fucking anything. Then the rest of it, he's, like, sh- he's like shuffling them off the top like this. This scene yeah. would be... This film he's would be it so rain. much better. It would yeah, be, he's making it rain. It's a making it rain gesture. Would, no. With stained glass shitty cans. This scene would be perfect. If instead of pieces of stained glass, they were lemon meringue pies. <laughs> exactly. I he's just, forget, he's like he's juggling the them. Church bake sale. We're exactly. going to be exactly. for the children. Oh, my God. So, yes. uh, Bullseye, Bullseye explains the plot to Daredevil. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And an unnecessary, I mean, like, maybe the best example ever of a classically unnecessary monologue. Which tells Matt what the plot was, who the villain is, and that the villain killed his father. Yeah, does he, (laughs) is he even, like, on the scent of the kingpin at that point? He just knows, he knows that the the king, yeah. 
Here's the I think at exists. that point, isn't the Kingpin kind of like a, still sort of thought of as an urban legend? Or maybe he even thinks that Electra's dad was the Kingpin. He knows he the Kingpin, such... yeah. He knows he exists, but he has no idea who he is. Yeah. So, but, I mean, that, thing about this movie? Says, I think, by the way, that guy you met once that you were really antagonistic but towards, this, he's the bad guy. This, this gets to one of the, like, fundamental, the, the fundamental narrative problem of the film and it's that Matt, like, his goal isn't really to, like, take down the kingpin. He doesn't it's have like, a goal. He doesn't have he a doesn't goal, really. right. You so, know it would be way better if he had actually had taken that job with the kingpin. If the kingpin <laughs> had been, like, his mentor. If this was, like, his rich, uh, like, mentor who had helped him after he had, uh, after his father had died. So he had a relationship. Mm-hmm. He was like, oh, shit, Fisk is the bad guy. I have to go kill him. My yeah, father figure. That would have been That's great. Not there. That's not That'd a plot. Great. They don't bother with it. That would have been a fantastic plot. So Also, the alligators. The alligators <laughs> in the sewer. You're never going to let up on that, are you? I'm never going to let up on that because I'm convinced that they were hoping that they were going to mm. make a Daredevil 2 and they were seeding it. That was foreshadowing for... Uh, what, Killer Croc? Killer Croc, yeah. yeah. Or uh, the Lizard. Villain. Yeah. They're, we're already stealing a Spider-Man villain uh, here, so why not? Uh, still two. King. There we go. So, Bullseye gets thrown through the stained glass window. He lands on Ben Eric's car, because Ben Eric's superpower is coincidence. <laughs> um, and at, at that point in the he film... He says Bullseye. He says Bullseye, yeah. At that point in the film, uh, we, we finally have the confrontation we've been waiting for between the Kingpin and Daredevil, in which we learn that the only reason the Kingpin has water running through his walls is so that Matt can take advantage of it in a fight <laughs> and see him yes. like it's raining. Uh, st- uh, Daredevil, uh, Matt, Star Trek sixes the Kingpin by kicking him in the knees. <laughs> Yes, as, as I wrote in a tweet, uh, as Twitter is my note-taking for this, uh, yes, his, the Kingpin's weakness, his knees. That was not yeah. his knee. Not everyone keeps their genitals in the same place, yes. Nick. Uh, I, I actually, and, that, and not, that was actually really brutal just because I have a thing about knees. So getting seeing him have his kneecaps kicked out was just like, ah. Yeah, no, no. I, no I, again, I understand mm-hmm. that in the real world that would be a very serious place. Yeah. Also, Michael Clark, Michael Clark Duncan acts the shit out of that scene. He does. I mean, it seems like it's yeah. really fucking painful. Yeah, no, no, he does. I will give him all the credit in the world for that. Yeah. While we're talking about the water thing, not only does he have this weird random water fountain wall thing happening, but when Daredevil, like, knocks out all of the glass on this... There's absolutely no reason that water needs to be coming out with that kind of water pressure. No. Because, like, it's essentially just, like, those, like, really lame, uh, like, raining glass statues that some people have. He's got walls full of it. But the moment they're smashed out, he's suddenly, like, fucking fire hoses everywhere raining down on them. Yeah. And which ends immediately as soon as Daredevil gives his mom one about how he's not the bad guy. Once, once the plot yes. deems it convenient, the water pressure drops. Um, yeah, so D- Daredevil gives his, his speech. He refuses to kill Fisk, and his reasoning is, I'm not the bad guy. Which is, A, not consistent with the action that we've seen, but B, apparently... That's apparently the narrative arc of the film. I'm the narrative the arc of the film is Daredevil, at the beginning of the film, and at, and at the middle of the film, is in situations where he says he's not the bad guy, despite doing very bad guy-like things. And at the end of the film, decides... Like beating up that that guy in front of his kid, which is where the first uh, instance of the line comes up, which I think we've sort of 
skipped just, over that scene. But so yeah. I mean, like, apparently that's the narrative arc, and I, I, I don't. Which might be a not bad narrative arc if done well, but it's not, so it's not. Yeah. <laughs> the um. At the end of this scene, Daredevil says he's not the bad guy. He walks away. And uh, apparently the police are coming for Fisk. Yes. Daredevil Why? claims that he can hear... <laughs> um, uh, at what I, point was this established? You know what? I'm going to say this one thing about the director's cut. This is the, that's the biggest difference between the two films is that they actually give the answer to that question. In the director's cut. You mean we actually okay. see why Fisk is getting <laughs> I mean, arrested? That is I mean, I guess, I guess you could say, all right, obviously, obviously Daredevil and Bullseye are under heavy police surveillance during that. There, there could be, like, somebody, like, listening into that conversation, like, holy shit, Fisk, let's go arrest him. That maybe is why. I don't know. Maybe, uh, maybe fucking, uh, Matrix guy puts, puts the pieces together. I don't know. Joey Pants. Joey Pants, yeah. <laughs> right, we, we, we as the viewers I'm don't know. Matrix guy. Yeah, the Matrix we as the viewer, guy. watching the director's cut, they, the rocking theatrical cut, they just do not explain it. You just the words out on the kingpin. That's all the they're doing. The words out. Words he out. can hear. He can hear the police uh, radios from like a mile away. Yep. That's how good his his hearing is. But God forbid he's anywhere near a subway at any point, yep. which never happens in New York City. So he's totally fine. It's an awful, awful weakness to have loud noises. It's very easy to exploit. So the, the Kingpin gets arrested. Michael Clark Duncan acts the shit out of the scene. Like, I'll, I'll do credit to Michael yeah. Clark Duncan. He has given an incredibly one-dimensional character to play, but he plays him. Like, yes. He plays him. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. And then we, we get our uh, sort of end-of-the-film teaser where Matt is sad because Elektra's dead. But wait, Elektra might not be dead because she left a, uh, a Braille necklace at their favorite makeout spot. Yeah. Ooh, so yeah. It, it, it really felt like uh, Mark Stephen Johnson was writing the film and he thought to himself, Shit, I forgot to see the sequel. That's right. I'm and telling then, you, that's what all of the alligators are about because it comes up again at the very end. <laughs> Fucking Favreau will not let those goddamn alligators go. Yeah. That's got to be the plot for the planned sequel. And then, oh. then and this is the last part, as he's as he's giving this weird hero monologue and diving towards Q the fuel. Yeah. Okay. So. Oh. I, I Johnny do. Pants has a, Johnny Pants is about to like get oh, shot out by Matt Murdock. And then decides not to, and deletes the entire article in the least efficient way possible by just holding down the delete key. He does, he does not hold down the delete key. He hits the delete key once, and it deletes everything. Which, no computer works that way, or ever has. Well, maybe that's just how his computer works. He's trained himself so well that he never makes a mistake, so if he does ever hit the delete key, he has to start over. He doesn't running, believe in the undo other. He's running a custom enjoyed, installation one, of Linux. One of the things I did enjoy about this movie was watching the 2003-era keyboards. Oh, <laughs> It's... Mm. Yes, so uh, Joey Pants decides not to turn... To, oh, but we didn't mention. Uh, Joey Pants figures out that Matt Murdock is Daredevil because oh, right, Kevin, Kevin, Smith. Kevin Smith recovers oh, yeah, Matt's Kevin. Billy Club. Which he had already looked at at the party because he was at the party talking to Matt Murdock for reasons and we, he like, yeah. admired his white, his white cane. We, 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 just, we, did, we didn't mention this because none of this matters. Because <laughs> we don't care. Very just little of the film yeah. matters. So, we, we don't... We did, I think we're pretty clear we don't like this. Movie. Yeah, let, let, let's. <laughs> I, I, 
at this point, maybe we should like give our closing thoughts on this because we we have made it very clear that we don't like this film. Um, in our closing thoughts, let's focus on two things. One, the degree to which we don't like this film. Two, the uh, where this film ranks in our lexicon of Marvel films we've watched thus far. And then I guess as a final thing, what redeeming quality we saw in the film. And we'll, ju we'll just go left to right. Derek, why don't you start us off? Uh, sure. Uh, in terms of where it ranks, I, well, I guess I would frame everything in terms of would I ever want to watch this again? And the answer is no. I never, <laughs> And yet we are ever, going to watch it again. Ever want to watch time. this film again. And yet I have to. Um... <laughs> That's that's how little I liked it. I mean, I would watch Captain America a, a, a thousand times before here's, I would want to watch question. this film. Here's again. my quick question: Would you watch Howard the Duck before you watch this? Because to my mind, oh yes, totally. Howard the Duck is without question, no question, question in my yeah. mind. Like, I mean, I might need to like have other people there who haven't seen it before. Just like you have to fucking see Howard the Duck. Let's go watch Howard the Duck. I might need other people there. I might not watch it's, it by myself. Yeah. It, but it, I would watch Howard the Duck a ton, a fuck ton of times before I watch this fucking movie again. There, it's one of those films where I mean, the the badness kind of manifests itself a little bit while you're watching, but it doesn't really hit you until after you've finished the film. Yeah. Mostly because, you know, of the severe narrative problems. They aren't really problems of performance or, um, you know, like, kind of surface signifier elements, like things that you're actually experiencing. They're, they're problems of processing, of, you know, after, you know, uh, an act or after a scene or after the entire film, you realize, wait, none of this makes any sense. Yes. Um, in terms of, you know, like redeeming things, I mean... I think Daredevil's, you know, a pretty cool character. Um, I, re you know, and I really liked the um, the the sequences where you know we see his kind of sonar vision, and you know, I think in with more time and in better hands, um, you know, it it might have led to to something kind of interesting, but it just hmm. didn't happen. <laughs> Nick, your thoughts? Dead last. I placed it dead last. Uh, and I think I think Derek has a very good uh, criteria there because I mean probably if if there is any objective measure of this this is probably a better movie than some of the other movies we've watched but yeah I would not I would not fucking watch this movie and yet we will be doing the director's cut next yeah. so hopefully hopefully Patrick is telling the truth that it is a dramatically better movie I wouldn't we, call it we dramatically better movie but it is a better movie. It is a better movie. And that seems to be the consensus of people I've, I've heard. Um, as I said, I, I watched it for the first time uh, on an airplane, and I fucking hated it. I, I, oh, God, so much. Uh, and I've been, I've been carrying around this hate for, like, the last decade. And there's, and there's something, there's something so You already have more tangible motivation than Matt Murdock, Nick. There's something so wonderful. About being justified in that, I was honestly kind of terrified. You're, I was kind of terrified not, that I would like it. You have not let go of this hate. You have you have justified it. It's festered. Exactly, it has festered. It's festered to the point where I will not give Colin Farrell a chance in anything. Um, Nick, but are you sure? But, but I, I was so happy. I was so happy to watch it that it was as bad as I remembered it, and maybe even worse. That. 
that's nice because I, I wouldn't want to have been so wrong about it. So that's that's my favorite part of this movie that it is as bad or worse than I thought it was. Patrick, I really fucking hate this movie. <laughs> Patrick, I'm a little frightened by how much Nick hates this movie. Um, You're muffling your mic. I'm oh, sorry. I said I'm a little frightened by how much Nick hates this movie. But that being said, um, I will say it is not the worst of the Marvel canon. I know this partially because I've actually seen Elektra, but we're getting ahead of ourselves. Um, this is true. I have not seen Elektra. I was ranking it as the worst of the movies we have no, not we've seen. Oh, I see. Yeah. I see. I see. I see. That's fair. That's there fair. may be, by the time we're done with however many movies this is, there will probably be a couple movies that manage to slot in below Daredevil. But I'm not expecting more than three. two or three. Yeah. Um, I mean, here's the weird thing about this movie. I... T- I I, t- I kind of told the story of how I relate to this movie early on. And as a side effect of that, it's very difficult for me to watch this movie without that sort of, uh, that connection, that emotional connection to my own work that I have mm-hmm. as a relation to this movie. Now, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that this movie, for example, the plot, as we've established, is like, there's maybe about five minutes worth of plot in an hour and a half movie in this yeah. movie. You know, there's about five minutes of things actually happening. But it is very difficult, and I'm not even sure I can, disconnect this movie from how I relate to it as a writer. Something, I don't even, I don't know what the hell it was about this movie that connected with me. But I I kind of count this movie as among, among movies that set me on the path that I am in one way or another. And so, as a result, I look at this movie with a kind of fondness, in a weird wow. sort of way. And I, I think, I think that's totally reasonable. Yeah, like, I, and I can never just, dis- I will never, I don't think I will ever be able to <clears throat> disconnect that from this movie. Um, and I, it, I cannot explain what it was about this movie that kickstarted it. I believe me, I cannot. Watching it again with my writing partner of all people, <laughs> you know. Um, Reminded me, this movie has a lot of nonsense issues. Um, but it, it is very difficult for me to disconnect it. Um, you know, if we're dr- looking at things that I think are worth uh, connecting to, I think the way they portrayed Daredevil's senses was really good. And, and I actually kind of comment on this. That's the weird thing about the big 40-minute dump of exposition at the beginning of the movie is that they have, like... 20 of those minutes is dedicated to explaining his sound senses, which I don't think they need because they already had, like, that great scene where he wakes up and he's surrounded by sound and he's freaking out. Like, that tells me everything I need to know about how his senses work. You don't need to explain not, anything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not only that, and this is something I wanted to mention when you brought this up earlier, not only that, but this is also, like, grounded in, like, a folk understanding of how psychology works. We've all heard, and I have absolutely mm-hmm. no idea if this is scientifically accurate or not, but the idea that, like, when you lose one sense your other senses get heightened. That's just sort of... Right. I think most people are familiar with that concept. So you don't need to sell it that hard. It's like, oh, mm-hmm. he's blind, and now he has superpowers. Sure, that makes sense. Yeah. So mm-hmm. that was kind of weird. was like that they felt they felt they need to oversell something they, they didn't need to. Like, they could have gotten an extra 20 minutes of, let's say, Matt and Electra building their romance or yeah, building this. Yeah, of, of any number of things <laughs> they could have used that time for. Uh, the other thing that... The uh, one, again, I actually like, there's a bunch of really nice bits. Um, like, you know, I wish I could lend you my eyes for one night. I wanted to look good for you. 
Like, yeah. you know, and the scene where he's kind of, we're learning the, the routine of him being blind. Like, they're, like, you can sort of see these hints of like, oh, hey, that's kind of neat. Um, but the other thing I do want to p- get out, and this is getting away from my weird, inexplicable emotional connection to this movie. This is the first Marvel movie with a post-credit sequence. <laughs> it's worth it out. absolutely is. Yeah, it, it, because after the credits, um, we, we see Bullseye in a full-body cast in, like, a police hospital. And the idea is he's lost his hand, so he can't throw anymore. But there's this fly that's driving him crazy, and he impales it on a hyperdermic needle. And he goes, Bullseye! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, which I guess, in theory, sets up the idea that there's going to be a sequel. So... Which there Every, wasn't. There was not. Well, well I mean, depending there how kind you of was. I mean, there was Electra. So, uh, yeah. so every every time Nick Fury shows up at the end of a movie recruiting people into the Avengers, um, or the Winter Soldier stands in a corner and creepily looks at museums exhibits, thank you can Colin thank this Farrell. movie. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. I, I think, just, just to kind of wind it down here, like, I... This is a bad movie. Like, uh, th- there's not any way to spin this as not being a bad movie. It has almost no plot. Its characters have almost no tangible motivation. They I, made me miss. I, I, I really like what, what you said, Derek, about the, the flaws of the film are not things that are immediately obvious to you when you watch it. They become obvious to you when you think about the film. I mean, it, it, there are parts that are kind of cool looking and people say things that sound cool and all of that. But none of it has any internal logic behind it. it, it there's, no, there's, not, there's no glue that holds this film together. And consequently, the film falls apart. Um, the best parts of the film to me were the parts of the film that focused on the weaknesses that Matt Murdock deals with. Like, dealing with him, going through his... Uh, much the same thing you said, Patrick. Like, his life as a blind man. Um, his relationship to Electra in, in, in that, uh, that one scene where she says, I, you know, I, I wish I wanted to look beautiful to you. Th- things like that. It's moments that are rooted in the things that he can't do. And what what is striking to me thematically throughout the course of the film is that's the most compelling part of the Daredevil character. The idea that he is inherently limited in some ways in what he can and can't experience. And yet the journey that he goes on through the film and the struggles that he faces are in no way connected to that inherent weakness or that experience. The fact that he is blind is within the context of the film almost incidental. Yes. Like, it, like other other than that sequence that we that I think we agree we like at the very beginning where he's like going through his morning routine. Mm-hmm. Uh that's like almost the only scene where you go, oh yeah, he is blind. But even that is almost—it's just flavoring. It's seasoning on the character. Like it's not his weaknesses <laughs> are not an inherent part of his journey. And th- no. that, to me, is f- for a character that has such an inherently interesting concept at his core. The fact that that is not taken advantage of in a way that drives his growth and development as a character is. Maybe the film's biggest miss to me because I don't think it's poorly acted. 
I don't really think it's poorly shot, but it's incredibly poorly written. And that, that, that bugged me a lot. And in terms of, like, the rankings of the film, uh, Nick, Derek, I'm, I'm with you. Like, I would rewatch any film we have watched so far before I would watch this again. Like, I, I, I even... I, I had fun watching Howard the Duck. I, I had fun watching uh, Corman's Fantastic Four. Oh, yeah, I would watch that yeah. one, absolutely. The, the only, I would watch that, I would watch Captain America, yeah. I would watch Punisher, no questions. Ca- Captain America is maybe the only one that I didn't have a lot of fun watching, but I would still watch it again before mm. I watched What about this. the piano? What about the piano? It <laughs> 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 that. that was amazing. That was amazing. Uh, yeah, that's true. Um, the, so the, the, the thing that I keep coming back to is, one, it's an incredibly poorly written movie. Two, uh, we'll find out later. I don't think it benefited from the cuts that were made to it. And three, truthfully, there was uh, the last Marvel film to come out before this was Spider-Man. And there was pressure on this film to be that next Marvel hit, like real super, uh, you know, culturally transcendent hit. And it didn't do it, and it was never going to do it because of the kind of film it is and the kind of subject it is. I mean, Daredevil is, is more of a niche character than Spider-Man. He's a darker character. He's always he been a darker character. Um, and I think even by trying to achieve that level of crossover appeal, the film handicapped itself in a way that, you know, we look back at it now as one of the larger failures in the, the Marvel canon. So that, that's that's kind of my final take on it. I'm not really sure if we have much to add to that. I mean, yeah. yeah. So, so we, we, uh, we have established that none of us would ever watch this again. Unfortunately, <laughs> we're, we're going to. I, I mean, I would, but like I said, yeah. as, as I said, yeah, yeah. You, you I have a connection to it. I had this weird emotional connection to it. Well, I have, I have a weird emotional connection to Spider-Man 3, which we will get to yeah. later as well. I, I, cannot, I absolutely cannot think about that movie in any, you know, objective mm-hmm. sense. Yeah. So, so a, a preview a preview of coming attractions. So our, our next uh, release will, will probably be a mini-sode. I don't know if it's going to go the full length of, the, uh, of this and other podcasts. Probably but not. we are yeah. going to watch uh, the director's cut. Of Daredevil and try to understand where the uh, the differences are there. And then our next full length film, our next full length episode. It's an iconic hero grappling with a madman from his past. It's a super weapon falling into the wrong hands, threatening humanity. It's a story about the genetically superior going head to head with humanity. It's a story about a beloved crew member making the ultimate sacrifice so the rest of the team can escape a catastrophic event. It's Star Trek II, the ref... <laughs> no, wait, it's X2. X-Men United. Oh, okay. Yes. yes. <laughs> I was trying to figure out what the fun movie that was. I was like, yeah. Fantastic yeah. Four he's describing? Yeah, so uh, Daniel Watson-Jones has already signed off. Uh, thank you, Derek Long, Nick Bester, Patrick Regan, for, for being as you are. I am Stephen Claypool, and we will join you. I have, a, I have one final thought. Yes? One, final thought. one, read the New York Post, and two, smoke blue cigarettes. <laughs> and watch Terriers. <laughs>
And watch Terriers. All right, there we go. I didn't have any idea that we were going to We've gotten my plugs in for the episode.